Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi, and with me is Armin Navabi, as you all know. And uh, the, yeah, this is a special episode that we're doing. Uh, it's a public live stream. It's an Ask Us Anything episode. So this is where we answer your questions. If you're uh, a patron, a supporter of the podcast, um, and if you'd like to become one, uh, you can just go to secularjihadist.com and you can become a patron for less than, or for as little as a dollar. Um, then, uh, so, uh, our patrons actually submitted pre-approved questions. So we're going to go through those. Uh, but for the rest of you, if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to type it into the, uh, YouTube live chat. Um, and, um, we'll see how many we get to. We, we have a lot of questions today, so, uh, yeah. let's see how far we get. And I apologize again. I post, sorry again. What happened is today I posted the wrong link. Um, and now we updated it, so we had some technical difficulties. I'm just going through everywhere to make sure that everybody's getting the, ooh, this one, okay. The right one, so. The right one, yeah. So yeah, Armin's gonna take care of that. Um, in any case, yeah, so we'll get started as soon as uh, Armin has all that figured out. It's all and, figured out, um, it's everywhere. I just wanna take this opportunity to thank everybody who is a supporter of the podcast. And by support, we don't just mean the patrons. The patrons will thank you very much. You know, you really, really help us uh, keep going. Um, and for everybody else who shares these episodes, who's been listening to the episodes, who've been talking about them, telling your friends and family about them, um, I think that, um, that that has helped. I mean, this has been, so far, 2018 has been amazing. We've had uh, some incredible guests. We've had Sarah Hader. We uh, had um, Alishba. Uh, we had... Uh, Nick Cohen. We had conversations with two conservative Muslims, one fundamentalist Muslim and one conservative Muslim. Um, and uh, we had a an episode on male circumcision with Brian Earp. And uh, just, you know, it, it's just been, we've just had some amazing conversations. Tanya Joya, the, the ex-wife of the, uh, the leading ISIS commander, um, which was a particularly riveting episode. So if, you, if you've missed any of these, uh, please do go back and, and check them out. Um, and we just plan to continue going. Some upcoming announcements. We're going to have uh, Mariam Namazi on the podcast. She's coming up. Uh, I've talked to Jerry Coyne recently. We're going to be doing an episode on science and faith uh, and uh, sort of having a, a sophisticated conversation about science versus faith with Jerry Coyne, the evolutionary biologist who, who many of you know. So it's going to be an exciting uh, couple of months ahead as well. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there's a lot going on as far as Armin. Armin and I are both part of the uh, uh, the XMNA, Ex-Muslims of North America College Tour, uh, the Normalizing Descent Tour. So uh, Armin uh, just had a uh, an event um, uh, with uh, Sarah Hader and Gada, who was also a previous podcast guest uh, in... Uh, where were you, Armin? In Kansas? Yes, yes. Yes. 
So, and that was on April 8th. So I, I think that the uh, video or, or the audio for that uh, will be out shortly from XMNA. Um, I am, if you're hearing this, if you're watching this live, then I am actually going to the Netherlands next week for the Dutch uh, release of uh, my book, the Dutch translation of it. So I have about uh, three events in three cities in the Netherlands. I have uh, some media stuff I'm doing in Brussels as well. So I'll be there as well. And uh, hopefully I'll come back in one piece. It's going to be pretty exhausting. Um, the week after that, April 29th, I'm at Harvard uh, with the, for the Harvard Humanist uh, Hub with Muslimish. And uh, another event I wanted to announce is on June 2nd in Toronto, uh, Greta Vosper is organizing an event um, uh, which will be about uh, ex-Muslims or secular people in the Muslim world uh, who are uh, fleeing persecution. So uh, it's a charity event to raise funds for them. I will be speaking, my wife, Alishba, who you heard on the podcast earlier, is going to be speaking, uh, and Bonia Ahmed, uh, the um, the wife of uh, Avijit Roy, who was uh, one of the bloggers who was uh, just unfortunately uh, brutally murdered in Dhaka, um, uh, in, uh, in Bangladesh. So she's going to be speaking in Saf Heather, the wife of uh, Raif Badawi. She'll be speaking as well, so it's going to be a really, really incredible event on June 2nd in Toronto. So if anybody's around, uh, you should uh, come over there. And uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. We're going we're gonna to put up announcements for all these events uh, soon. So uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot happening this year that we're looking forward to. And uh, I think, yeah, Armin, do you have anything else you want to add? No, no. We let's let's go. Let's die, yeah. Let's no let's more promotion. You're done with all your technical stuff. Everything no, you on. over you you overuse the promotional events. So I'm not going to promote anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's I, I guess we're blessed. Is that the right word to use for this podcast? Blessed. No I mean, we've been we've been having a really good year. We're having some really interesting conversations, and we're really getting the word out there. So, but, but okay, guys, but give us a feedback on the promotion, uh, all stuff. Do you guys want the promotions at the beginning of the video or at the end of the video? Because I think um, I'm not sure because it, once the YouTube version of this goes out, right? Mm. Um, I heard it's a better idea to put the promotions at the end of it because people that don't know you. They take mm -hmm. the first thirty seconds to judge whether it is if this is going to be worth listening to or not, right? Ah, so I think okay. it's a good idea to put the promotion, the event. I mean, it's not promotional because it's is basically events and stuff, valuable other content, right? But mm -hmm. I think um, let's yeah, I don't know if you guys have feedback yeah, on just, this. Uh, so. I just look at it as, as stuff we're doing, but yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, that was a good point. So let's yeah, let's dive in. Let's go to the questions, Armin. All right. Well, I sent you a whole bunch of questions that we got from our wait, Julever patrons. Yeah. So we have different. We should probably clear that up if you're talking about people who haven't heard this. <laughs> these are yes. These are these. This is uh, yes means names that she came up with the patrons, and we liked it so much that uh, even after she left, we didn't want to change them. Uh, right, so, so and every time we use these names, we remember her. Uh, so that's why we we want to keep it there. Um, so wait, it was yeah, Julever was that our ten dollar uh, patrons uh, and up. Um, right. Wait, no, actually, I think this was for everybody. This was for Musad's shoe and up. Yeah, so everybody that is Musad's shoes and up sends us questions, and I <laughs> and I sent you the questions. 
Uh, do you want to yeah. go? Some of the questions were very long. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's great. So we'll have a we'll have a fun discussion. We've got some time. So um, I'm going to dive right in. Our first patron question for tomorrow comes from Brian from Mythesis, Milwaukee. Many of you know Myth- Mythesis, Milwaukee. They have a conference coming up. I think uh, MythCon 5. I, I, I don't know if I recall but uh, exactly the right number. But anyway, here's a question. I'd like to know if you think uh, recent events have cost Linda Sarsour credibility. Like her women's march, openly supporting Farrakhan. Wait, she had she had credibility. Oh, that well, that that's part of the answer, Armin. Oh, okay. so um, yeah, like her women's march, openly supporting Farrakhan. That's Louis Farrakhan uh, from the Nation of Islam. Uh, she seems terribly anti-Semitic and doesn't seem to be friendly with apostate Muslims. Do you think she will lose support from the center left? Um. So to start with this, I'll kind of build on what Armin said is that I, I, I don't really think she has a whole lot of credibility beyond her echo chamber right now. Um, a lot of uh, mainstream uh, media outlets and personalities have criticized her heavily. And this includes uh, the New York Times, includes Jake Tapper from CNN, uh, who heavily cr- criticized her for uh, supporting. Um, I think there was an activist who, who had uh, murdered somebody. Uh, who and I can't remember the exact details. Uh, so she supported that his her support of Louis Farrakhan, uh, all of this, uh, the anti-Semitism, um, the tweet that she had about Ayan her, her CLE and taking away her vagina, uh, and saying that she wasn't real woman, really really vile stuff. So I I don't really think that Linda Sarsour has a whole lot of credibility. She's kind of going to has been territory anyway, and. My personal view is just to ignore her. I think uh, I no, but the question was specifically not about us, but it was about the uh, center left. Yeah, oh. the center left. Yeah, I am. I'm talking about the, like some of these mainstream media outlets, like like the Washington Post, like the New York Times, like Jake Tapper from CNN. All of these are generally center left or left. Uh, outlets and and they're pretty influential voices and I think that I've actually heard personally from a lot of people uh, on the left, uh, so people in the media who are influential uh, that uh, they they don't particularly like her a whole lot and they don't like the game that she plays. They think she's very manipulative, and it's actually unfortunate because I I think the women's march is an amazing event. Uh, I think it's an amazing idea. I think it's much needed. Um, unfortunately, it's been tainted by all of this sort of uh, uh, political, you know, all the politics that people like Linda Sarsour and some of the other uh, founders of it have brought to it. And uh, I hope uh, if it does continue, the Women's March, I hope it, it becomes more divorced from um, that a sort of petty kind of, uh, you know, politics. Uh, they There have been other things as well. Uh, for example, there were reports of non-hijabi Muslims who were, uh, you know, discounted from the event. They were discouraged from participating. Uh, there was a clear report of pro-life women, you know, whether you agree with them or not, um, who should be in the women's march uh, because it's a women's march. It's not a, you know, that it's not something that it's supposed to adhere to a certain ideology, um, and uh, they were put out of the event as well. So th- there have been many grievances from. Not just from center left or right, but from just many different points in the political spectrum who have found uh, Linda Sarsour and some of the other co-founders uh, to be not very credible 
when it comes to the event. So uh, All right. yeah. I think you answered that one. Uh, yeah. Let's go to the next one because I, th- I want to be go through the patron questions so that we could also address the live chat questions. Uh, guys, sure. the, yeah. the live chat questions, I'm going to copy and paste them uh, so that once we go through the patron questions, um, then we could answer them. I don't know. Uh, but just for regards to Linda Sorcerer, I just uh, do think that people, I think it's very... <laughs> A lot of people on the left don't like hearing this. And I, again, not hashtag not all. I always have to say this. Not all the left. Because every time we criticize the left, people on the left are always like, I'm the left and I criticize Islam. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, not all. But there is a problem on the left. The th- um, we told people that if you're not consistent with your values, if you don't support women that are being oppressed by Islam, um, if you, even if you don't support them, if you're being a hypocrite and actually supporting oppression of women in Islamic countries at the same time um, uh, think calling yourself feminist uh, with regards to women in Western countries, this is going to hurt your credibility. It's, it's going to, people are going to dismiss you as an act- true activist. Even if, even if you mostly care about women around er- your area for the sake of uh, credibility and for the sake of consi- consistency, if you're not going to uh, say anything uh, about women elsewhere, that's fine. You could have your focus, but at least don't support oppression of women elsewhere. And if you see, uh, activists in your camp that are actually doing that call them out don't make them leaders of your movements uh, and if you don't um, if you don't do that you're going to lose credibility and it's going to hurt the, the movement and the values you're actually fighting for all right uh, okay, can, I, can i add one more thing armin to that um, right. i just want to talk about something uh, just quickly quote nick cohen on something so nick cohen has uh, he was on our podcast this episode it's gonna be out next week uh well i mean depending on when you're listening to this if you're watching live, it's going to be out next week. And uh, he, he actually said that there's a big difference between defending the rights of people uh, to practice their beliefs, so defending the rights of women to wear the hijab. But on the other hand, there's a difference between that and celebrating or endorsing it, uh, which is, I think, something that uh, people in the Women's March and, and many people on the left get confused and they conflate the two. Right. Okay. So what's the next one? Okay, so going on... The next question is... How about uh, this? How about um, to, so that we get through the questions, we just identify which one of us two is better to answer which question, question and then one of us answer it and right. we'll go to the next. So this one's actually directed. It says, hi, Armin. So this is from Gareth. Um, and There's two questions. One for you, one for me. So, yeah. Okay. So this, uh, this is... Do you think that mocking religious beliefs reduces suffering in the world? If so, why? Oh, that's just for me? Okay. Well, I mean, he said um, hi, Armin. I think he wrote to you, but it, it could be for both of us. I, I have a okay. short to it, so... Yeah, I mean, okay, here's the thing. I I, I, I do think it, it really depends on the people. Um, I do think that um, mocking religion should be... It's totally fine. And it actually, a lot of people uh, that responded to mocking, you know... You manage, uh, manage to get people's attention through comedy. I mean, here's the thing. People call it... Uh, people that don't like it call it uh, mocking. People that like it call it comedy, right? Um, and, but it sh- comedy is one of the best ways to reach out to people, um, and I think it's totally fine. I think the only thing the when people um, are complaining about it is most of the time is um, in the content is showing up in places that they had absolute control over whether they were 
going to be exposed to it or not, right? Uh, it's, it's much more easier than ever for you to completely decide what kind of content you're exposed to. So if you find a mockery of your ideas, something that you can't handle, it's up to you to limit access to it. For us, um, I don't, uh, you know, some people say mockery works, some people say no, mockery doesn't work. It really depends on the individual and the person that you're targeting. Uh, and I think, you know, com mockery is basically another word for comedy. And I think comedy is a very effective tool at trying to, you know, we have many people on the Atheist Republic page that saw um, stuff that they uh, were offended by because they considered it considered it to be a mocking of their ideology and th they got involved in trying to defend it and call us out for uh, why this is wrong and uh, they told us that three day three years or two years or um, you know after a period uh, they, they were like okay I'm um, I'm an atheist we I, this is not something that is this is a story that is not um, rare we hear this um, a lot it, of times very common yeah it happens very common yeah People come back a couple of years ago. They're like, okay, it makes sense to me. And I was very offended before, but I thought about it. And now it's two years later and, and I'm with you. And right. um, yeah, go, go ahead. I mean, it's not just religion. Um, socialists you know, mock capitalists, capitalists mock socialists. Um, uh, you know, uh, Muslims mock Christianity, Christians mock Islam. The thing is that the mocking, you know, is not is meant to grab the attention and then then you go in and the, you debate the topic then the the mocking of it is just a surface it's just a conversation starter it might not be very accurate uh, but then whenever you post a meme that is funny that is um, the the main content that you see is in the comment section you know what I mean? Like you start a conversation, uh, you get some people riled up, you get some people trying to defend it. And then the real content, the real dis uh, discussion and debate that you will see, you see a meme that has like four or five words on it. And then you see, um, you know, hundreds and 400, 500 people commenting in the, uh, and under us. And that's what the real discussion is happening. So I really think it's a really effective way of starting a conversation. Yeah. I, I, one thing I want to add to this, and I actually feel very strongly about this, is I think that it's, uh, I think it's incredibly important. I think satire and humor um, and mockery, uh, th those are very, very important, particularly for the people who are targets of them. So let me give you an example. I mean, so a lot of these people who are the targets who are being criticized, the last thing they want is to not be taken seriously. So you take the example of, for example, uh, you know, Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Uh, he's a leader. He's reading everybody's writing serious op-eds, talking about North Korea as a serious threat. He reads them and he's like, wow, I'm a player on the world stage. I'm just like everybody else. I'm causing havoc. I'm, I'm making an impact. Uh, then Seth Rogen comes out and makes a movie about him uh, being, you know, getting his head blown off. And suddenly he loses his shit. And he goes down and he gets hackers to, you know, hack into uh, Sony and uh, hack into movie studios, get the movie shut down. That's something he takes really personally. Take the jihadists. You know, they want to be taken seriously as players on the world stage. You draw cartoons of their prophet, you make fun of them, they go nuts. Right? Same thing, Donald Trump. You criticize him all you want. He's being criticized every single day. But when someone makes a joke about him, like Jay-Z or like Rosie O'Donnell, then then he has to strike back. He can't hold himself back. So I, I think you know, one of the things is when you when you see uh, these uh, these elements, these personalities, they really they're they're very very insecure most of all and and they they dread being mocked and and being satirized and 
uh, for good reason. So I, I think it's a very effective tool. And, you know, you look at late night shows, you look at all of the stuff. And uh, these things are actually places where people get their news now. They get a perspective that is unfortunately missing from the mainstream media. So I, I think it's very, very important. One thing I actually um, actively look for is a mockery of atheism. I think it's very interesting uh, to see what they come up with. And it's a very, whenever I see Christian or Islamic pages mocking atheism, I think that's fantastic. I take that and I post it on Atheist Republic and uh, see how people in Atheist Republic uh, respond to it. Uh, it's a fantastic conversation starter and it actually is an eye opener to what they see, uh, what other people see ridiculous in atheism. I, I, I welcome that a lot. So it's not just us yeah, to against them. I welcome, I welcome mockery of anything that I believe in or don't believe in. Go on. Yeah, and one really important thing is that if you're going to be doing it, if you are in the field of having provocative conversations, and we know many people who are, I, I've noticed a lot of these people they they just freak out when they get it in return, and and you have to do that if you're playing, if if you're in this area, and if you're doing this kind of work. Um, you have to be able to take criticism back and and have a sense of humor about it as well. You have to have a bit of a thick skin, um, and that's I I think good advice for anybody who's in activism and dealing with controversial material. Uh, but, but the people in the live chat, if you, uh, I'm trying to copy all your uh, questions. So after the patron questions, we get to your questions. Mm -hmm. If you tag secular jihadists, because there's also conversation that is happening between people in the live chat. So I might miss your questions. So make sure if you have something that I need to pay attention to, you actually tag secular jihadists. Anyways, mm -hmm. go on. Okay. So the next question is from Alex Govin. And it's, uh, it's a little long. There's a question for you and there's a question for me. So I'm going to try to summarize it a bit, Armin. Uh, so it says, Armin, you often explain your preference for promoting leaving Islam altogether as opposed to reform or substituting another ideology like nationalism. And there's two parts to this. Number one, have you found that this option is much more viable for young people as opposed to middle-aged and older people who spent their whole lives as Muslims and either feel it's too late to change their mind or are simply too entrenched in the ideology, community, or culture that they simply cannot or will not part with their beliefs. Um, so, yeah, for what age group do you encourage reform? Or, uh, sorry, leaving Islam, what do you think it's better for one age group rather than the other? Uh, the second part is your preference for leaving Islam completely as opposed to a more piecemeal route is justified by the assertion that any other ideology, nationalism, reformed Islam, etc., is still a bullshit story. And then he goes on to talk about Yuval Harari's book, Sapiens, uh, that most human activities based on these narratives, human rights, secular values. Uh, hold on, let me just skip. This is a long question. Uh, so I'm going to... I think the second part is trying to stress on the importance of narratives. Yeah, the importance of narrative. So let's, uh, you know, I, I think that that kind of summarizes it. So Armin, go I, for I, it. I don't think it's okay. I don't think it's, um, young or old makes a difference. I don't like, I don't think we should be lying to people, knowingly lying to people, right? It's something mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, if you basically is trying to sell ref, uh, Islamic reform to people, you're basically saying to young, maybe young people, maybe for them it's more effective to tell them to maybe consider leaving Islam or leaving religion or leaving dogma or superstition um, altogether. But maybe for old people, we should you know, suggest reform. Just to be clear, when you're when you're re suggesting reform to Muslims, you're basically lying to them. You are lying to them. You are basically saying that the, you know as an atheist that this is absolute horseshit. This book is not uh, divine in any way. But you're deciding to tell people that these verses 
could, uh, from God could mean something else, which you know it doesn't. So basically, you're saying these people are too old, they're too married to their ideology, um, so let me just lie lie to them. That's what you're saying because they're too old uh, or too you know it's too late for them. And 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 I don't see uh, I don't think that actually that's true. I think for um, all people, um, doubt has always worked more effectively. And not that people say, oh, reform also encourages doubt. I'm not saying doubt in what this verse means. I mean doubt in the whole if the whole thing is bullshit or not, that kind of doubt, right? Um, I think everybody, um, if people are looking for baby steps steps uh, giving one replacing one bullshit with another is not a baby step in the right direction it's just basically continuing uh, continuing in the path of deluding people i think if you're looking for baby steps uh, skepticism works very effectively and the the skepticism that you're looking for is is anybody no matter how many how long they have been married to these ideas all you're suggesting is is it possible that is it even possible that you were wrong that's your. That's all you're suggesting, and yeah, I think that's, that's the most effective. That's the most effective thing to do with with young people, with old people, with people that have been uh, religious for all uh, for for a long time. The the thing is that the, uh, the other method is lying to people, and I don't suggest I don't suggest you lie to people. Uh, with regards to the importance of narratives, narratives are very important, and I, I um. But the role of narratives. In uh, us, you know, learning moral lessons from narratives or being inspired by it does not have to um, involve believing that they actually happen, right? For like, for example, a story like Harry Potter has a lot of messages hidden in it, a lot of uh, moral lessons, a lot of inspiring messages. Or there's a lot of other stories or um, ancient stories, even the Quran and the Bible. The Quran and the Bible are very interesting uh, works of history if you don't believe in it. The problem is that if you've actually think, see, Harry Potter is a very, it is made a lot of young people start reading books. It's a very interesting way it, it has influenced people, um, a whole generation of young people's um, way of looking at things and made a lot of um, um, these kids actually go out and read other books because how inspired they were by it. But if, imagine how worrisome it would be if we had a whole bunch of these people actually believe that this these, these Harry Potter is real, Voldemort is real. Some of them started worshipping um, the Voldemort, you know, th that would be, <laughs> that would be an issue. That would be a very, uh, that would be something that we need to address. I think narratives do, admit, there are many stories in, in history that have influenced people's behavior without having to sell it as reality. Um, does that answer the question, do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good answer. Okay. Comprehensive. So um, I'm going to move on to the next question, and this is you know something I think this is an excellent question. Uh, this is also from Alex, um, and this was specifically directed to me, to me. And it says Ali, you have been you have spoken about being a free speech absolutist. Uh, whenever this position is defended, I always hear the phrase "sunlight is the best disinfectant." It's a great metaphor, but it's still just a metaphor. Um, I was wondering if you could bring it into. Uh, into much con more concrete terms, how does b bringing ideas into the light disinfect them? Uh, this seems to rely on a truth shall set you free sort of principle. And then he goes on, I'll just summarize, he goes on to talk about how uh, when you do that, when you bring all of these ideas, you end up getting people believing 
uh, the wrong narratives, and you can have sometimes lots and lots of people believe the wrong these wrong ideas. Uh, so, uh, how should we address it? He says, while I don't mean to question free speech in principle, how can we be so confident that it will truly lead towards the truth and not the opposite? In other words, to continue the metaphor, uh, we can explain the chemical process that is disinfecting. I am wondering if you can convert this explanation back to the sphere of free speech. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a complicated question, but I, I think it's a really good one. So, I, I am a free speech absolutist, and this is what I've said. And this is this means that I, I think that uh, so far uh, in the in the world, the United States has the best uh, conception, the idea of free speech, and uh, one of the key elements of that is that hate speech is protected as free speech. So. Just to give an example, the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, which um, they, these are the people who go in and they have uh, you know uh, those signs that say "God hates fags" and they pick at the uh, the, the funerals of uh, slain uh, soldiers. Um, so these people, there, there was a, a a Supreme Court case, you know, some years ago about whether they should be allowed to pick at these funerals, and in an eight to one decision, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court decided that yes, they should. Um, because it's part of their free speech. So even though this was hate speech, this was covered under free speech. And I think uh, that this is uh, this is very important. Um, now, as far as uh, this whole idea of... Uh, and, and the reason I think that's important is because I think that when you're talking about people's freedom of speech, you're not just talking about their freedom of speech, you're talking about your freedom to hear what people are saying. It's your freedom to decide for yourself what ideas you want to be exposed to and what ideas you don't. That's not something that you want to outsource. That's not a responsibility you want to outsource to the government or, or to some you know administration in a university. Uh, you want to be able to decide that for yourself. And I think that that's actually a very, very important right for people to have um, if we're going to have an open society uh, where there's a free exchange of ideas. As for people believing in you know, all the fake news and everything, I, I think that that's a, you know, that's a, that's an unfortunate side effect of people being able to say what they want to say. But um, if you can't go about restricting that. That just comes with it. And a lot of times it isn't even hate speech. I mean, you look at how uh, influential religion is in the world. You look at how uh, influential, for example, a lot of the alt-right narratives and the neo-Nazi narratives have become and how coming back to the mainstream into mainstream discourse now after you know the, after 2016 pretty much after the election and i think this is a good thing i think it's a good thing but i don't think that these narratives have just started emerging recently i think they've always been there they've just been underground and uh, what you're doing is you are actually bringing them into the light you're exposing them to sunlight um so that people are exposed them. They know they exist, and they can actually counter it, not with censorship, not with banning, um, but with more speech. They're, they're encouraging dialogue. Um, and what happens if you don't do that? If if you if you fire people for saying the wrong thing, or if you uh, financially ruin them for saying the wrong thing, they won't say it. But those ideas will still fester. They'll just go underground. They'll go back in the closet, and then they're going to come out later at some point. And they'll be stronger than ever before. And okay. you need to answer. We're getting questions faster than we're answering this. So, <laughs> so I want to add one more thing to that, uh, connecting to the narratives aspect that uh, uh, Armin was talking about. Is that 
I think that when we talk about these things, Albert Einstein once said that, uh, you know, the truth is, I'm paraphrasing him completely, but truth doesn't, you know, you can say all the truth you want. It doesn't matter if nobody's listening. And people listen to things when they can relate to them. If there are stories, the religions, the, the reason religion is so successful is because it wasn't just information. It was false information, uh, but it was presented through stories. That's something people relate to. If you look at the 2016 election, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton had was full of all of these policies and ideas but it didn't resonate because she didn't have a story. She wasn't authentic. Donald Trump, even though a lot of the stuff he said was bullshit, he had a story. There was a narrative to what he was saying. So that is a very human thing. And and the one mm-hmm. thing that I think that we should do is focus, talk about data, talk about information, talk about facts and truth, but frame them in a way that people can relate to them. And I think it'll be a lot more influential. Actually, to that, to that point, that's, that's a very good point because the fact that narratives work and they're a very effective way of communicating doesn't mean that the, what, the, what they're communicating is worth taking seriously, right? Because, right. And that's why just people say, well, we should take, give credit to religion because people need narratives. Yeah, they, they did a very good job at spreading their ideas, but they're very harmful and dangerous ideas. Um, and and the f- their effectiveness is makes them even more dangerous. So right. yeah. And the, the flip side is that when you do talk, just because you're talking about data and you're talking about facts, that doesn't mean you have to dismiss the narrative or the emotional component of it. Doesn't mean that you can't take those things like you know. I I was raised with a lot of homophobia around me when I was younger. I was born in the '70s in my school, comedy shows, TV everywhere. And then I I think the movie Philadelphia with Tom Hanks completely changed that for me. When I saw it in an artistic form in a story, I realized I'm like this homophobia thing is bullshit. So, uh, I mean, and, another thing to point out, when I say we can learn from the Bible and uh, Bible and the Quran, I by no means I mean that we could learn moral lessons. There's these books should never be taken seriously ever, but as moral guides, uh, what what we could learn from them is history. We could do some detective work and see which verses came from where. There's a lot of interesting history behind all of them. You know, I wish there was more Bart Ehrman related uh, work on the Quran, like Bart Ehrman kind of work that he does on the Bible. I wish there was more work like that on the Quran. It's very fun. I always tell people that Islam is a lot more fun as an atheist because uh, as a Muslim, you look at the Quran as a guide to life. Um, uh, and that's bullshit. As, but as an atheist, you could look at it as a historical document that was full of puzzles that need solving. So right. when I say we could learn from it, by no means I'm suggesting that it's at all has any value of morality. It has zero. There's not. There's nothing in any of these books that is. Um, n- n- and I'm seriously saying nothing in these books that are worth uh, using as a moral lesson. Um, okay. So, uh, next question from another patron. This is from Eric McIntyre. Um, his question is, have you read uh, Kanan Makia's Republic of Fear about Saddam Hussein's Iraq, and what do you make of it? Also, what do you make of Christopher Hitchens and Nick Cohen's support for the Iraq war, which were largely based on Makia's arguments? More broadly, when the cause of anti-totalitarianism and the cause of anti-imperialism are in direct conflicts, how do you prioritize them? Um, Armin, you want to go, or... Since right. I took the last one, um, so we're talking whether uh, there's I, I a whole bunch of the book, but I think we can talk about. Uh, I have, I mean, I've heard of the book, I haven't read it. Yeah, uh, but 
Um, he says, you know, what do you make of Christopher Hitchens and Nick Cohen's support for the Iraq War? Uh, which right. was so I think I think they were wrong, but um, but here's the thing: it's it's so ob- for me. I know some people might disagree with me. It's so obvious for us to see that it was wrong, but we have the we're looking at everything from this from with hindsight, right? I don't think it's as easy to understand these things. Um, before they happen, like a lot of people make it seem like a simple, um, you know, obvious mistakes. Uh, to be fair, if, if from all the mistakes, this seemed to be some of the most, one of the most obvious ones that the U.S. shouldn't have made, because there were a lot of people that warned uh, the United States what will happen, you know, exactly uh, what happened. That, that there was warnings about that these things will happen, and uh, you know. One of the pe- one of the main people that was warning uh, United States about exactly what's going to happen after removing Saddam, it was Saudi Arabia. And I'm not support. I'm, uh, I there's nothing. I'm not saying Saudi Arabia is right. Um, I mean they were right about this, right? But that doesn't mean I'm supporting them. This you know fuck Saudi Arabia's government. Okay, just just to make that clear. But. They knew what's gonna ha- what's gonna happen after the removing set, um, and they were very scared about, uh, very worried about this because uh, they were worried about Iran. Uh, at that time, United States was not ta- was completely ignoring Saudi Arabia because uh, their friendship was at as, at its lowest point, given that the nine eleven hijackers were mostly Saudi. I mean, they were still considered allies, but the relationship wasn't as good at that time. Uh, what Saudis were were warning United States was that you're basically giving Iraq to Iran, you're giving it to Iran, and uh, and that's exactly what happened. The thing is that when we're talking about foreign policy, is um, a lot of people um, simplify it as I mean sometimes I do it as well Iran versus Saudi Arabia versus United States but they have to what we have to understand is that in all these countries there are a lot of different interest groups with different agendas United States is not just one entity there are many different um, different forces in each one of these countries that are fighting for different uh, goals and agendas um, and it, so it becomes more co- so when we say um, you know the consequences of the Iraq War was bad. We have to say to who exactly? Like it was, it was great for Iran. It was really bad for Saudi Arabia. It was bad for um, U.S. taxpayers. It was really great for U.S. weapon sales. Um, right? It, it was. It was really good for the U.S. military industry. Um, and you know, uh, you know every uh, and. I'm not, this is not a conspiracy theory, okay? Like the 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 influence of the weapons industry in the United States politics is pretty obvious and straightforward. This is not conspiracy theory level stuff, okay? The lot they have powerful lobbyists, um, and actually the 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 level of uh, influence of different groups on U.S. I mean, okay, when I criticize U.S. Po- foreign policy, I we have to understand that. Is is still better better than many other countries. Okay, so United States makes a lot of mistakes, uh, but but they're so much better than of, compared to countries like Iran and Saudi Arabia. And people w- might count uh, try to count bodies to say no, United States is worse. But you have to understand that if Iran or Saudi Arabia had the same power of United States, then the numbers would look different, right? Um, but 
so United States makes a lot of mistakes. And the problem with the, the mistakes that it makes is, is that to the people that have those influences, sometimes they, they're not even considered mistakes. Um, it, 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 just one example is um, w- there's a terrorist group called Mujahideen al which recently was removed as a terrorist group because they were very good at lobbying different groups. Uh, they are, um, they, these are people that have killed a lot of innocent people. They used to be funded by Saddam, and now they have... Uh, they're called MEK, and these are the people that are actually supporting and funding people like John Bolton, which is now in such a powerful position to make. I mean, these are people that are actually uh, have a lot of interest in in attack against Iran, for example, right? And whether if you think attacking Iran is a good idea or a bad idea, it shouldn't be, be it shouldn't be influenced by groups like this. You have to understand that countries like Saudi Arabia and Israel. Uh, they want an attack on Iran, for example, right now, but they don't want their soldiers or their tax money to go towards it. They want the U.S. tax money to go towards it. And whether or not this is a good idea or a bad idea, you have to understand that this is not how this is not how decisions for United States tax tax money should be made. You know, and with regards to Christopher Hitchens, of course, the guy wasn't. You know, uh, he's not infallible. I I love the guy. Uh, I, I, I love many of his, uh, you know, he's, he was, he was fantastic and we lost him way too soon. But on this, obviously, I, I mean, because uh, you can see, I disagree with, um, there was something else I was going to say. Did I address? Um, yeah, but there was one more part to it, Armin, where it said that when the cause of anti-totalitarianism and the cause of anti-imperialism are in direct conflict, how do you prioritize them? Um, so, another thing, oh, one thing I was going to say about the United States and the, when they say imperialism, are they talking about United States versus? Yeah, they're talking about like imperialism. I, I would assume so. Cause you know, the whole idea is that attacking, uh, striking so against Iraq. This is, not, is, this is not imperialism. United States is behaving just like any con- other country would, uh, would if it would, if it was a superpower. In fact, they might be causing less damage. Than that doesn't country. mean it's not imperialism though. It, I mean, it, I'm not saying it is, but I'm, I'm saying it's not imperialism because they're not, um, okay. Because they're not actively uh, controlling this country, but whether here the thing, United States makes a lot of mistakes, and but at the same time, we have to remember that United States is the first country to show up at any anywhere that there is a disease outbreak, uh, at any place where there is a natural disaster. United States, uh, and like when there was this um, storm, when there was this disaster typhoon in the Philippines, United States was the first country to show up there and the last country to leave. Um, you know, a lot of um, there's a, many, many disease outbreaks would not, would have been a lot worse if it wasn't because of the, uh, you, you know, influence of United States and them showing up there. So the number of lives United States have saved in different countries, uh, is way, way higher than the number of, uh, um, the number of people that have been uh, killed because of United States influence in these countries. That doesn't mean that it justifies them, especially when you consider that the entities, the, the forces that are responsible for helping uh, when there's a disease outbreak or where there's a natural disaster are completely separate from the ones that are respons- that are making mistakes or sometimes they're making good decisions, right? You have to understand that um, United States intervention has not always been bad. Uh, look at Japan, right? Look at uh, you know, 
Germany. Germany, right? Like, I mean, look at Indonesia for a while. It had a very powerful effect when the United States get involved in their economy. Um, I mean, if it wasn't for the United States, a lot of countries in the world would be communist right now. And yeah. I, I think I think this really is a, a not just a case by case thing, but there there's so many variables here. Yeah, and I want to. I, I agree with most of what Armin just said, and uh, in fact, almost all of it. But I, I would add one thing that uh, a lot of this has to do with how things are done. So, for instance, right now there were many people who supported the Iraq War initially, mm-hmm. uh, and then like people like Fareed Zakaria, for instance. But now that looking in hindsight, they're saying, well, because of the way it was done, this was a very bad idea. On the other hand, supposing you had a rewrite of history and supposing the war had been, been done very well, a lot of the mistakes hadn't been made, there was, there was more uh, information, they there were more well-informed about what the Iraqi, uh, the, the local regional politics was like with Iraq and what all the different groups wanted. And uh, they, they had gone in with those insights. And supposing it had become been a success, if it was a success, maybe a lot of people who were against the war before would have now said in hindsight it was probably a good idea. So I, I think a lot of this really depends on um, how these uh, uh, interventions are conducted, why they're conducted, and uh, what the outcome is. Just to point out, there is no country on there is no country that doesn't intervene in other countries. If uh, unless they couldn't, okay, mm-hmm. Iran intervenes in other countries' affairs. Uh, um, Saudi Arabia intervenes in other countries' affairs. All the European countries. The reason why we notice it more with the United States is because the United States is more capable of doing it. But if those countries were also more capable of doing it, they would do it. Uh, the thing is that you know it's not uh, countries do see national interest in. Uh, they they see a lot of national interest in actually going out and doing stuff outside of their border. It, a, a lot of times without being welcome to do that. But mm-hmm. every country does that. And whether it's fair or not depends on wh- what you think the role of the government is. If you think the role of the government is to protect its citizens, a lot of these... Co- uh, um, then you might be able to justify it that these countries are going out and trying to solve problems before it, um, before it comes home and affects its citizens. But it's fair to point out that sometimes actually this backfired and the problem became much worse. But uh, coming up with examples like that doesn't mean that the whole idea of trying to solve problems before it comes home is complete all of the uh, false all the time. You can list a lot of examples that it actually backfired. You actually created terrorists that came out and attacked you, but you could also uh, come up with examples that it actually helped. Right. Uh, you know, the the now right now nation building is a dirty word, but when it came to Japan, when it came to Germany, now these are United States best allies, and the stability in those regions has it has benefited United States and those countries a lot. So you could come up with good examples of, uh, you know, how intervention. One intervention that you might come up with examples. You know, a lot of times also people have uh, a lot of focus on what uh, what examples they see as bad. For example, this whole PC culture and anti-imperialism narrative uh, makes people always think of the Middle East when they think of the United States' um, negative role when it comes to intervention. But nobody mentions, I mean, not nobody, but not, not that many people mention Cambodia. I never like there's you know Cambodia is one of the worst examples of United States inf- intervention and the number of people that died from that is is is, is mind blowing and I don't know why it never it doesn't come up as an example. 
But anyways, I think we we I I, I spent a lot of time. But go on. The next question. So um yeah, let's go on to. Do we have any more patron questions, Armin? And no, I think we let's go to the live chat questions. I copied okay. and pasted all of them for you, right? So okay, go for gonna, it. Yeah. Uh, the first one is from Sagan Worshipper. He says, thoughts on the Ezra Klein, Sam Harris podcast. So, Harmon, want to go for it? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Did you listen to that? That was a fucking disaster, wasn't it? <laughs> I have uh, I have ideas on it, but you go first, and then I'll talk about it. Uh, you, you, okay, you're making and, me uh, go first. Yeah, All right, so, one second. Well, okay, so it looked, it looked uh, bad for Sam at the beginning until the podcast actually happened. And I think that was like, Sam looked a lot better on the podcast. I mean, here's a, here's the argument from the other side. Here's the whole summary. Okay. So first of all, how many people actually, I'm assuming everybody knows what happened. Uh, Ali, can you give a summary? I'm not good at giving summaries, but okay. Let's just go over the general narrative. Okay. Of, hold on. Um, so uh, well, the, Actually, let me, let me, the summary is going to be really, really complicated right now. Okay, let me okay, let me just give you the, the summary of the whole narrative that it's not just between Sam and this Ezra. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. All right. So the, basically, here's an argument, and it's not just in this podcast. This is what people say. Um, some people people come and say IQ is influenced by genes, and then the other side comes and says. How could you how could you say that? What about slavery? What about oppression of black people? These things have an influence too. You can't ignore these things. They're like, yeah, yeah I, but first of all, that's a completely separate topic. But you can't deny that IQ uh genes sorry, genes have an influence on IQ. Sorry. So you say genes have an influence on IQ, and then the other side, is that what I said? Or the at the beginning, All right? Genes have an influence on IQ, and the other side is coming and saying that black people have been uh, oppressed in the United States. We have a history of slavery. We have a history of this. We have a history, and history, and, and, and it's completely irrelevant to what you're saying. And they say that mm, you you can't just say that without actually acknowledging our history. And I'm like, why do we? I, why do we have to acknowledge that history? It has nothing to do. Has nothing to do with what we're saying. Okay, the fact that genes influence uh, genes influence um, IQ has nothing to do with what the, what you're saying. Why do I have to acknowledge that? In fact, if I acknowledge that, that would look ridiculous, right? That would look ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So if that that means that any time I want to mentioned something that has anything to do with the diff, uh, with the relationship between genes and in different races which is science which is fact which is out there and everybody knows that it's out i mean everybody should know that it's out there does that mean that i have to get a history lesson before every time i want to talk about it why why would i have to do that first of all notice how is how Western focused these arguments are because, because you're talking about different races across the world. You're talking about the white genes, uh, your genes in the white race and the, the uh, Middle Eastern race and the uh, Asian Far East races and then the black African races. And these people just focus on the relationship in, his, in the United States between white people and black people. And that's all they care about. All right. And the, um, 
they think like, okay, th- this must be because of something. It must be because of something. Yes, we cannot say this is because of genes because if we say it, then we are basically giving into the narrative of the history uh, of all this oppression and injustice against black people. And we help, we're helping that narrative, right? Look how fucking focused these people are on their own countries, right? Because you're talking about the, f- uh, the entire fucking planet, right? And these people think that when we say black people, you're talking about just the United States black people. And this must, the history of how white people um, treated black people must explain this as if, as if the whole world is, is in the United States. Guys, it's, it's, it would be an absolute fucking miracle, absolute fucking miracle if different races had the same average, not just IQ, whatever metric you come up with to measure people's um, intelligence or capacity to do anything, okay? Uh, to do art, to do math, to do science, to do anything. If, if the average IQs were actually equal, that would be a fucking miracle. I that would be a mathematical that would that's mathematically impossible how is it that we know we can say that different races are capable of different things when it comes to everything else other uh, when it comes to everything else other than the mind other than mental um other than iq other than intelligence we know that these races are faster these races are taller these races are uh, more likely to get heart disease these races are more likely to get that this and that but all of a sudden when it comes to your brain all of a sudden nope they're all fucking equal and everything that is not equal has to do with environment nobody is denying the role of environment of course environment has a role the only thing that uh, that science show, uh, shows and we would even before it showed that we we, we should expect it to show that because it would be impossible. It would be a mathematical miracle if it didn't is that IQ and intelligence is also one of these things that are different between different races. I think the conversation that people are having is that they think different IQ levels means uh, that some races are superior to the other races or some people deserve more rights than the other. Right? Yeah. Armin, you're, uh, you're, you're having mic issues. How long has this been? Oh, there you go. No, no, no. Just, just for a few seconds. It's fine. Go, go ahead. Go back. All right. I'm saying that just bec- even if we show some races are more intelligent than others, that doesn't mean that they're superior. Superior in what way? What does it fucking mean? So, okay. If you're talking about superiority, you're talking about what? You're talking about do they deserve more rights? Do they deserve to be treated better? Do they deserve to be, um, you know, in fact, I would argue it would be the other way around. I would think that it's, if, for example, if it's proven, I mean, I'm not for these policies, but if there was ever any argument for um, equal opportunity, right? If you wanted to give people equal opportunity, then if, there, if it's shown that there are certain groups of people that are at a, at genetically at a disadvantage, I'm not talking about equal outcome, I'm talking about equal opportunity, then some people might... The logical response to that might be that the people with the disadvantage deserve more rights and more protection. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like it would be the other, the, the conclusions would be the other way around of what people are actually are, fe- are, are afraid of. 
I, I think that there are two elements to this, right? The first is there is the... Uh, it's it's funny how people always, when they disagree with you, instead of making your arguments, they just say, oh, go read more about it. You don't know about it. They don't make their arguments. They just refer you to other things. If you have an argument, make your argument. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that there are two aspects of it. And here, here's the thing. Like, I uh, obviously, I, I like and admire Sam Harris a lot. I think he's coming from a very honest place. And I think he has a very good understanding of the science. Um, I also actually really like um, Ezra Klein. And I've been reading him for a very, very long time. He started out, he's, he's a very, very intelligent guy. Um, uh, he's, he started out when he was just in his 20s. So he's almost like a, like a prodigy in a lot of ways. And, and he was always very brilliant. And he got success very fast because of his ideas. So, um, but he is, he's very good when it comes to policy. And those are the two, I think both of them are kind of looking at it uh, from their own view. So the one thing that we had in with, for example, graduate students is, you know, if they're, you're studying, you're studying one protein. If you're doing biochemistry, you're studying one protein. Everybody kind of looks at uh, all of biochemistry through that project that they're doing. I mean, I remember this in grad school uh, when I was doing biochemistry. So I, I feel like that's what they're doing. They're looking at the same thing uh, from their own professional angles. Wait, so, um, okay, people are saying, people are saying that's not what Ezra said. Ezra said a whole bunch of stuff, okay? One, I, of, I the th one yeah. of the things that he specifically said, I'm not addressing everything he said, he made some good points, I agree. One of the things he said is that when you're saying these things, you have to bring up, you can't just say it by yourself, you have to bring up the history, you have to mention that every time. Okay. Well, he's, not just, he's not just and talking Sam, about that. Yeah, he's talking. I know about, he's not just talking about that, but mm. people are saying that's not what Ezra said. That is definitely one of the things he said. Yeah, yeah. So that, that is I'm exactly. That. I'm, I'm not saying. Yeah, okay, good. You were saying that's exactly. No, no, I'm saying that, that you're you're right. That that is what he said. He said that you can't divorce this completely from the policy, and I I I do see that point to some extent. I think that what happens is that it comes to the earlier question that when you do expose certain truths out there. And, and he, here's the problem with these IQ race differences is that even if you're doing a general study on something, uh, on just intelligence, if you're just looking at the genetics of intelligence, which is a strong topic, genet intelligence obviously has a genetic basis. You give somebody an extra chromosome, their, their IQ drops 30 points. You, you make a little mutation, their IQ can drop 30 points. Mm -hmm. So th this is a, uh, there definitely is a heritable and a genetic component to intelligence. Now, the question with, with race differences is that even if you're not studying it, they start popping out of the data. When they start popping out of the data, and there's a lot of agreement on this, there's even agreement from Ezra on this. I mean, this is something that everybody acknowledges. Uh, the only question is, how do you deal with it? And I think that's, that's where the issue is. The issue, okay, the, the issue is that we need to talk about this more. more we need to talk about it, not less, okay? Because it, we are a danger that the, a lot of people associate that higher intelligence with the fact that a race is superior to another race, right? Mm -hmm. If we don't talk about this, then the only people, that, the main people that are going to be referring to science uh, are going to be right. it's going to be white supremacists and then the non-white su white supremacists are going to be pointing at science and non-white supremacists are going to be like no deny science we yeah, can't yeah. let them take this to we have to be like okay just because different levels of intelligence doesn't mean that people have different levels of right or that people should be different treated differently your capacity to think is not the condition that we have for protection and rights, your capacity to suffer, the, the ability to suffer is the main reason why we, you deserve protection and you deserve to be right. given rights. Not so, so I, capacity to think. No, I, I, I get all that. I think what I'm trying to do is uh, I'm trying to get into what I thought about that 
conversation, the exchange. Okay. Um, so first thing is that one place where I 100% agree with Sam Harris is that the very first article that came out, the Nisbet, Turkheim, and, and Paige Harden article, I, I do think that was a hit piece. Okay, so I, I think that that was, um, you know, they made some points in there, sure, but the way that it was framed, the context in which it was framed, if there, there was clearly uh, an agenda that they were trying to get across where they were trying to target that. And I, I actually, that that's one thing I completely disagree with Ezra Klein on, where he defends it. I have a feeling that maybe he's defending it because it's in Vox and he can't openly say anything about it. But um, he was very, very evasive when it came to questions about that one piece. So that, that's that's one thing I would say. When it comes Can to I, the second piece, that, uh, go ahead. It just regarding Sagan worshiper saying Ezra, that's actually another point that Ezra made that I disagree with. Ezra is saying that we have to acknowledge facts because slavery has worked its way into the lead, uh, the lead of the pencil of the person taking the IQ test. Then if that's the case, then why do yes. black people in the United States have higher average IQ rates than black people outside of the United States then? Sagan. If it's well, because of that. Well, I mean, that, that could be explained environmentally, too, because they're exposed to different environments. So the, the, the whole point where, Ez, where Ezra Klein does have a point, I think, is that I do think that all of this stuff, like what he said about Charles Murray, when Charles Murray talks about this, Charles Murray talks a lot about policy. In fact, most of his conversations are about policy. So I think one of the things that people are conflating is Sam Harris's point of view and Charles Murray's point of view. They're looking at it as, okay, Sam Harris and Charles Murray think exactly alike, but that's not true. Sam, what Sam Harris's point is, which I, I agree with, is that you have the data, you talk about the science, you have to talk about it responsibly, you have to acknowledge that it exists, and the right people have to have the conversation about it. Otherwise, as Armin and you said the white supremacists basically go in and they hijack the the dialogue. Um, Wait, on the other hand, if your IQ, if 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 my okay, if if I if it was if if it was proven that my IQ and my the the genes, uh, the race my IQ uh, was lower than somebody else, who the fuck cares? Just work with whatever the best. No, no, but that's a, that's a problem. That, that's a problem where yeah. people do. So the thing is, I, I don't care. You may not care, but the thing is, people we should. Care. Yeah, that's what we need to change. We need to change this fast before the science becomes undeniable. We yeah, can't let people, we can't people, we can't let people start um, ranking different races um, um, based on how, you know, worthy they okay, are and how superior they I'll are. Yeah, okay. well, so here's the thing. IQ differences between different races do exist, number one. Number two, yeah. those IQ differences are probably attributable to part genetic, part environmental. Right. What's not sure, what nobody knows, and this is really something that nobody knows, um, is how much of that is environmental and how much of that is genetic. That's yeah, something nobody, that nobody Yeah, we don't now, know, but the, all we're the, saying the other is... Thing, yeah. All we're saying is that obviously genes is a factor. That's all we're yeah, saying. Yeah. 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 The, the other thing that people don't know is how mutable these are mutable as in how changeable these are so when they talked about the flynn effect the flynn effect is basically uh, uh, this idea that environmental factors and historical factors actually influence iq and one of the very powerful things that ezra klein mentioned in his second article not the first one that i i think was a hit piece that he was being evasive about but in the second uh, article uh, which is true is that the black white iq difference has actually significantly closed closed by about 25 percent since 1972 that's three years before I was some people, born. Some people attribute that to also make race mixing as well. Yeah, but the, the, uh, again, it could be race mixing, could be everything yeah. else. But in that short a span of time, 
there isn't enough time for race mixing to account for yeah, that. Yeah, but the thing is, that fo- if you're focusing on that, tries to, I think, as as a way to try to not say things that are uncomfortable to say. No, do I, I mean? don't. No, no, I don't. I, I think I know. I, I disagree with that. I think it's a way to complete the conversation. And and, and a, a lot of a lot of people point out that variance between individuals is way more than you know is a lot more so that we should that, still judge people individually, and that is very true. But the fact that every time we we mention that the averages are different, somebody has to say that. Is because people don't want to say uncomfortable things without actually adding something like, "Hey, everything is rainbows and butterflies." Or uh, like, don't. I, uh, yeah. So that that part's established. People people are uncomfortable about having this conversation. I, I that that part of it I g- agree with you on. What I'm trying to say is that I I didn't see that conversation as a disaster. I actually thought that it was a no. It wasn't a disaster. It was great for Sam. I yeah. Think. Um. No. I. I. And th- this is the thing. I think it was actually good for both of them. I yeah. benefited from I hearing what totally Sam was saying. I totally. And I, I, I he actually, was not, he, Sam was constantly saying something. He was completely ignoring it and responding to something. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what. There, there were parts of it where I mean, th- th- they were speaking past each other a lot. Okay. And no, I think Sam, yeah, no, 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 no. Sam wasn't past uh, speaking. Sam was saying constantly saying, "I don't know why you said that." It had nothing to do with the point that we were discussing. Sam wasn't pa- talking past him. Sam knew exactly what he's saying. He ignored what Sam said and responded. To he Sam. was being. He, he was some, being okay. He was, he was, being, yeah. he was playing games. So. He, Here's the thing in the in the email exchange and in that very very first article. Whenever he talked about that article, he was being completely evasive. Uh, he was trying to almost avoid talking about it. In fact, I got the sense that he knew that first article was a hit piece, but he just couldn't say it because you know he supervised that article and you know they. Uh, can they, I can I just add something? If we go by these standards, every time we talk about um, Arab the Arab race uh, as a Persian that was invaded by Arabs fourteen hundred years ago, I demand that we always talk about the historical context and tell that the Arabs uh, mentioned the Arabs imperialism and the oppression of the Arabs uh, of the Persian people every time we're talking about um you know database in the united states we have to bring this up because we have to put everything yeah, I, 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 mean, no, I get that. i i just need to let me let me just get out this complete right. thought okay all right so I, I i i do think right now the one thing again it's established that, that obviously intelligence and iq results specifically um have a genetic component it's it's uh, it's true that these racial IQ differences exist. It's also true that there's uh, th- there is a strong likelihood that there are both genetic and environmental components to them. In fact, it would be surprising if there weren't both of those. And um, uh, the only thing that we're not sure of is the percentage of genetic and environmental. And I think that when it comes to things like the Flynn effect, when it comes to the closing of the gap, I think that there are this is not something that part of it is not settled science. And when it comes to that part of it. Sorry, when it comes to that part of it, right? I do think that um, looking at not forget about the policy implications, forget about that. I'm talking about the actual science. Look at the influence of uh, the the history of slavery, the history of segregation, the history of disenfranchisement, the history of actually keeping uh, black people uneducated, keeping them, uh, you know, for hundreds of years, for centuries, right? Right. For doing that, can I, can I, there's no, there's right now we don't know how that affected all right, but let's the say environmental Ali, component. So Ali, let's the say idea Ali, that it's completely immutable and that this gap can't be closed in the future. Okay, but let's say, not, let's say that is let's, still. Let's say let's say there was a scenario. Okay, that. That it, I, I know this, this scenario is not true at all. It's not true. Okay. But let's mm-hmm. say this was the case. Let's say that there was no Flynn effect and the gap would never have been closed and that the variances were actually very small. 
Okay. In fact, it would be almost had a guarantee that blue people are smarter than purple people. We almost had a guarantee. Okay. Let's say this: mm-hmm. we lived in a world that that was the case. Okay. Blue yeah. people are always smarter than uh, purple people, and there's nothing you can do to ever bring them together. Let's say that was the case. St- I, in that scenario, I still think you should. Tr- not only I think you should treat blue people and pe- purple people equally. You. Some people might even make an argument that you should ma- treat. Purple people better than blue people because they're at a disadvantage. I, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Ar- Armin, like the, that part of it again. I yeah. agree. I, I don't think that, whether saying, yeah, whether okay. there's a difference or not, right. right? Whether there's a difference or not, whether it's mutable or not, you can't you can't apply bell curve statistics to individuals. And we did this as as a cancer pathologist. I know that I never looked at five year cancer rate survivals. Right, the cancer survival rates, which is a, a, a very common metric, and never applied that to an individual patient because every patient is different. There's more variation of between I, in IQ between within groups, right? Between two white people or, or a whole bunch of white people than there is between a group of white people and a group of black people. So, so that stuff does not. You cannot apply to individuals. You cannot. I don't think you can draft policy on that. Equal opportunities for everybody. That's true. That does not mean. That does not mean, though, that in this specific case, that it's yeah. it's completely settled. That it's 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 uh, it's of immutable. It's that it can't be changed. Of course, so that, that's but nobody's all. saying. But of course, but nobody's saying that though. I don't understand why we mentioned that because nobody's saying that. We know environment has a major huge role. Charles Murray environment- says it. Charles Murray says it. And Charles Murray, I, I got to say, by the way. Many years, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a big okay, fan of you're Charles right. You're right, you're right. He does say that. But yeah, I, I've, re- I've read, I've actually read him a lot. My, my wife is really good friends with his son. Uh, so, you know, right. there, there's a... Uh, and, he, and, here's, and, a here's another thing I would just wanted to... But I just tried, disagree with him on it, yeah. Yeah, but, okay, but the thing is that whether he's wrong or he's wrong for actual... He has bad intentions because he's wrong. He might be wrong because he just... His science... Like, okay, there's... He might be right... He might be wrong, but not because of bad intentions, but the people that are against him think that he's wrong and he's being wrong because he's fucking racist, right? I don't know. No, what that, I, I, that's no. not true. I, I, yeah. that, that part of it is, I think, right. that's bullshit. I, I think that's that even, even as a client said that that's not true, even though he... No, Ezra didn't say that. Ezra didn't say that. I think very, the biggest problem was that very first article, which... Ezra kept on um, okay, Alex, sort of Alex, I, 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 Alex is pointing out we need to move on to another topic. I just want to yeah, point out yeah. that two two people mentioned that crypto and somebody else mentioned that um, uh, Asians and uh, Jews have higher are shown to have a higher IQ and Jews are one of the most discriminated groups in yeah. and, the uh, world. Uh, uh, so right. and I, I would also the, refer people to um, Charles Murray's article on Jewish IQ. This guy, I think it's called Jewish Genius. Right. Uh, he wrote it a very, very long time ago. To see it, one last thing I want to mention, this is not something I typically mention, but it's actually relevant here, is that um, as, as a, 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 I'm part of this high IQ society called Mensa. Okay. I, I don't know why, but I yeah, was on the receiving end. Us. You constantly remind us, Ali. I know. Oh, did I? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I'm going to actually put it no, on. Alex, yeah. Alex, we're going to start. Oh, by the way, it doesn't uh, mean I'm, you, you guys should, you should meet some of the people. Here. Right, They're not, so, it's actually okay, not. But, yeah, okay, but okay. Let, you're, let no, you are very smart. All right. All right. I, I wanted Alex, to say that on the receiving end, I've been on the receiving end of a lot of these studies because what a lot of these people who are studying intelligence do is they do go for Mensa members. So when they go for Mensa members, you're on the receiving end and you get a very, very good idea of the stuff that is still controversial, the stuff that's actually settled, the stuff that is taboo to talk about, the All stuff right. that is 
So this is something I've been familiar with uh, personally so, for over so 10 years. So let's move on to the next topic. But um, Alex, mm-hmm. you, we are going to move to the next topic. But uh, I don't think it's fair that you're saying we're, we're going in circles because we didn't. We did mention a whole bunch of different things without actually repeating anything more than as, you know. Uh, I do. I oh, didn't okay. think. We, I don't think we. I don't think we went in circles. But Alex is right. We spent enough time on this. Um, uh, should we go to the next one? What's the next topic? Nerds, Daniel is saying. All right, go on. Ali, did you mute yeah. yourself? Okay. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I'm here. Uh, read the next question. I thought you were going to read it. No? Oh, I'm going to read it. I'm not good at. All right. Let me see. Um, steaks are tasty. He says, Do you think uh, there is a bias in skeptic? Is that the next one? Yes. Is, the, um, is there a bias in the skeptic community? Uh, oh, yes. Right now, towards the right wingers, for example, Linda Sersul will be, for good re- reasons, criticized. Yet, oh, there uh, it is. Like yes. Tommy Robinson, yes, Tommy Robinson won't be. Oh, okay, so yeah, the, let me see. Uh, sorry, I just I was looking in the in the chat, but I realized they're all here. So yeah. yeah, steaks are tasty. Let me just say that again. Do you do you think there is a bias in the skeptic community right now toward the right wingers? Mm-hmm. For example, Linda Sarsour will be for good reasons criticized. Yet people like Tommy Robinson won't be. Um, can I take this, Armin? Really quick. Uh, all right. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to respond to the live chat. Okay. Somebody is asking in the live chat: Is it? Is this? Is this uh, just for patrons? No. Our Q and As are public, but our guest shows are uh, live just for patrons. But right. And uh, one thing we want to say: We do prioritize. Uh, we go through the patrons' questions first when it comes to these public uh, live chats. So the you know, patrons patrons are definitely um, given privileged status, if you will. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so this question about this, and, and I just actually posted something today. Uh, this is a Tommy Robinson video. So I've heard a lot of apologists talking about Tommy Robinson. And Tommy Robinson, um, just a couple of days ago, he posted a video where he was asking Sadiq Khan, who's the Sadiq Khan's the mayor of London, about um, why he's not saying anything about all the returning ISIS fighters. Legitimate concern, something that we've all talked about, that we're not happy about. None of us like the leftist apologism for this stuff. We've criticized Justin Trudeau for it here in Canada as well. But then there's another thing that Tommy Robinson goes on to say. And I'll quote him. He says, uh, when he says, Sadiq Khan keeps on saying that it's his country and his capital. It's not your country. It's not your capital. You're part of an invasion into our country, Sadiq, or Sadiq. It's our country. That's one thing he said. Later on, he said he invited Donald Trump to come to uh, England, and he said, "Don't go to London, right? Because London, I look around, there's no, the, the, it doesn't even have any British people there. Go where the real British people are." So, essentially, talking about non-whites, like or immigrants, like Sadiq Khan was born and raised in England. He was born in Tooting, South London. Uh, he was born and raised in the UK, just like Tommy Robinson is. So it's amazing to me that he's saying that it's not Salakhan, it's not your country, not your capital, you're part of an invasion into our country. So to me, that is clear bigotry. And I don't think that he gets called out on it enough in the skeptic community. There seems to be a, um, there definitely seems to be a double standard to some extent when it comes to uh, people like Linda Sarsour, who is universally uh, and, and actually justifiably um, criticized, right for it, but uh, there seems to be, but uh, but there there are a lot of uh, fans of Tommy Robinson, and at least in my follower uh, count, uh, among my followers, who tend to think that he doesn't have 
any of uh, well that's not what i get on my feed because what i get on my feed is mostly shitting on people like tommy robinson how come you're more left than i am and you get you get more anti-right so the people who are against you they're gonna come uh because that's uh, not what my experience at all when i when i when i see on my feed is mostly attack on the on the right attack off uh, yeah i have a lot of i mean i've been uh, sorry, I mean, you had a mic problem again. What did you say? Testing. Is that good? Yeah, yeah. yeah you're good. You're good. Just right. repeat what you said at the end. No, I, no, I just said basically what mostly what most of what I get is an attack on the right. But I, just, I do think that um, what I notice is that a lot of people um, see using words uh, like right and left as dirty words. So it doesn't matter. Like alt-right and right seem not to make any difference for people anymore. Like as if mm-hmm. when you're saying... Oh, he's a right wing. It's apparently the same as saying he's part of the alt right. Yeah. And when you say some, uh, which is not fair. And when you say somebody is left wing, it seems to be also the same as saying there's, you know, social justice warrior, snowflake, um, a professional. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think any of that is fair. I think there was uh, a lot of people are on the right that are very good rational thinkers that are, we disagree with on some things and, but not, but are not racist. And there are a lot of great people on the left uh, that are not, uh, they don't want to, you know, they're not for PC culture and they have a lot of good views and they're rational thinkers that we also have disagreements with. I don't think the word uh, right wing and left wing should be dirty words. I think people uh, stop saying alt right as, as, um, and they're calling people right wing as if, as if they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. And they're left wing, they use the left wing as a condemnation as if it's just like a social justice warrior kind of thing. I, I don't think yeah, that's fair. I, I, I think, like, for me, I, I mean, I, I am, I, I'm definitely way more liberal leaning. I'm, I'm totally liberal. My association with even words like conservative is, you know, the, the more backward an Islamic society was, we used to say they're very, very conservative Muslims, or, you know, they, they have very conservative values and so on. So I had, uh, I, I've had these associations with it, but, but I do agree with you, Armin. I think there are people on both sides. I think what recently has happened, though, is that, uh, you know, all of us have been speaking about the regressive left. The regressive left was a huge problem. Um, and well, uh, you know, during the Obama time and, you know, we, we all talked about it. I wrote a whole chapter about it in my book, Armin, you've criticized that, uh, you know, we, we talked about uh, the, you know, the social justice warriors. We talked about all of these other concepts and fetishes. They kind of have political correctness. Now I think, uh, and this is my opinion, I think the anti-regressive, uh, people and the anti-SJW people have become just as unreasonable and just as irrational as as the there, other there's side. always an overcorrection. To be there, fair, there like this, a, yeah, the social yeah. justice warrior culture was a reaction to something that needed a reaction, right? Yeah, like it was and a reaction. It still, I, it still does, I think. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it still does. Yeah, yeah, it still needs a reaction, but then there's always an overreaction to to stuff that needs a reaction, and then the overreaction will get its own reaction and its own overreaction, and the pendulum keeps swinging. Um, right, and, and I, I got it. This, this is actually something I, I want to say. The, uh, the there's certain things in social justice warrior language. I mean, recently I think Sarah Hader put out a question about intersectionality, and I wanted to talk about it. Intersectionality is a real thing. It's important. If you have a, a a trans black woman, okay, who's trans and black, or if you have you know LGBT black women, their experience is at the intersection of being black and being LGBT. Now there are a lot of 
opportunists and leftist nuts who use that to justify any kind of stupidity they want. Like to what? Like how other they people. use that? Explain that. How well, they that? say, you know, like Linda Sarsour talks about intersectionality a lot. We have to talk about yeah, intersectionality. But, no, but like give an example of how that's used in a bad way. Oh, they just say that, uh, uh, like feminism, for instance, you know, if you're a feminist, you have to be pro-Palestinian. Or if you're a feminine feminist, then you have to be anti-colonialism, right? That's the intersection of these. And it, so they use it that way. And that's actually not true at all. That, that's not even what intersectionality is about. But they use this term for it. L- let me give you a better example that may be more familiar to people. But, and that's but, but can, I, can I just talk about that? If, if I, I agree that with the, the problem with uh, this whole intersectionality is that it used to be, we used to talk about this in a much more, like if you keep cutting, going deeper and deeper and deeper, you get to this very old traditional thing that we used to call individualism. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's I mean, why I'm saying it has merit. Yeah, no, it doesn't have merit because you have to because they uh, you have to take you have to keep inter you, you know you have to keep grouping people until I mean if you take that logic to the to the its very end you realize that everybody's experience is unique and you shouldn't group people into diff- different tribes you should just look at people as individuals and treat each one of their experiences differently i think they, what they're doing is that they're not taking th- this uh, logic to the very end to actually r- realize that the whole the value that we ha- that we have always been fighting for is individualism yeah, but I do. I do think that there is some. It's, it's beyond just individualism. I think it's a broader aspect of, uh, you know, uh, like if you are, if you are gay and you're black and you're a woman, right? All of these things. I think that is a, a that is an experience that a lot of people share, a large group of people share, and you can learn about all of those experiences and how they interact with each other. And there's mm-hmm. something to learn about it. And I think that has substance. However, when it's used to shut out other people or censor people, yeah. Then, then I think it's, and that's what they do. Now, intersectionality is a, is a bad word, and I, I, I don't use it myself anymore because it's associated with just stupidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example I'd give is white privilege. Like, there's this idea that because white privilege has been used so much, like, you have white privilege, so you can't talk about my issues. When people say yeah. that, that turns people off the whole idea of white privilege, and they, they just look at it as it's, it's nothing. But then, you know, you talk to people who are black people who are stopped by cops, right, in Chicago. And how they're treated or their incarcerations versus white people. Or you look at the kind of things Trump can get away with that Obama or a woman in, the, in power would never have been able to get away with. And you realize white privilege is a real thing. It's just the way that it's used, the way that it has been overused and exploited by the social justice warrior type people. And that has made it, it has made it meaningless. But that doesn't mean... White doesn't privilege exist. is not a thing for every white person, though. Of course, Armin, that goes without saying. Of course it's not. It goes without saying for you. Uh, (laughs) Well, well, that's my complaint. For a lot of people, it doesn't go without saying. But there are these extremes that either white privilege is the cause of everything, and that's the reason why everybody else should shut up except for the person who's a minority and who's had a certain experience. Or on the other hand, white guilt, the influence of white guilt is, um, you know, at some point is going to 
outshine the influence of um, oh so there's the intersectionality of white guilt and white privilege and okay, white no, I'm kidding I'm just fucking <laughs> you know but you know I mean I, I think you, you everybody sort of you guys understand what I'm talking about is that I, I don't think I've, I've never seen an int- such a, such a larger group of self-hating group of people in any anywhere anywhere in my life mm-hmm. but I've never I, I, seen such a wide re- like such a widespread um, hatred of your race from any group of uh, people re- compared to white people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, and there is there there is a backlash towards it too. There there are many things. There is not, racism against white people too. This there is not a small is. backlash. Yeah. This is this is huge. This is in every. This is in Europe and United States. Um, I've you know the the number of times white people say I can't say this because I'm white is unbelievable. I'm like, no, oh, I don't have... Remember after our event when that guy came yeah. and said that I can't say what you yeah. guys say. So this is not a small overcorrection. This is a huge thing. This right. is racism um, and a huge... This is a huge level of racism towards white people by white people. Mm-hmm. Don't you agree? This is huge. This is not a small thing. Yeah, this no, is not I, a I small thing. I, I, I don't think I. Th- I think it is happening, but I, I think all the other stuff is happening too. No, it's the same thing. With, I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's not racism against. No, no, I know you're not saying. I'm agreeing yeah. with you. I'm agreeing. Yeah, yeah. With you. And uh, you know, another another thing, identity politics. People talk about the how you know the left is engaged in identity politics, whereas every time I hear people on the right now, this whole overcorrection, they're the, all the populist movements. They're talking about. European heritage, they're talking about identitarianism, they're talking about race realism, they're talking about Judeo-Christian heritage. And it's just, I mean, Lalo Dagash said something on Twitter that I loved recently, that every time somebody talks about Judeo-Christian heritage, you can you can guarantee they're about to say something really stupid. And right. it almost invariably is. And, 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 and to, is the- to your point, the overreact, the, the correction to all this white guilt is actually a, a new uprising of white supremacy. So, mm-hmm. so I you know there is an re- overreaction to that as well. So you, right, your point yeah. is right. So I'm not. Anyway, I'm not Alex, a- Alex is saying that we should have an actual leftist on to discuss this. Alex, we, I totally agree, and we have been looking. It's really hard to get um, them, some of them, on the show. If you guys have any suggestions, or if you guys go, if you want to go to your favorite lefties uh, and harass them and on Twitter and like tag them and tell them to come to our show, tag our show and tag them. And we'll try to get them on the show. Okay, we're looking right. for lefty people. It's been easier to get Muslims on this show yeah, than lefty. So I, help us. Well, out. one more thing on this. Yeah. I, I think that uh, you know we had a conversation about this whole identity politics thing with Sarah Hader, and I think she brought up a lot of really good points, and I think all of us did. So we had a really good conversation there. So mm-hmm. if you can check out that episode, you should. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, can um, we get Ezra on this show. Uh, the Bud- uh, the Buddhi man is saying, "Get Ezra." I don't, I, I, let's see. Well, I'll reach out to him. Let's see if he can. Oh, oh Thomas see. Smith. Can we get Tom? I don't. I don't. I think Thomas- that, that's what I had in mind. I wanted to get Thomas Smith on. I think. I, I think Thomas that. might find us too toxic to come on our show. I don't know about that. Let, let's see. We <laughs> engage Sargon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you regretted that. Um, yeah, oh, the Pac-Man would be great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. These are some great suggestions. I'm going to make. Keep so let's going. yeah. Well, let's look at let's look into that and let's let's move on to the uh, next question. All right. Go to the next. Question. I'm gonna I'm gonna save these suggestions. Okay. So you the next, the next qu- question yeah. is uh, from I I think it's Cowboy One Thousand or Owlboy One Thousand. The C got cut off. 
I think. I know hell is not real, but being taught religion since a child, the fear part is still drilled in my brain. It's hard to get over the fear part of it that makes a uh, fear part of it uh, that makes sense. So, I mean, I think we get the idea that hell is not real, but he still feels a fear of hell. Um, yeah. What's a question? Do you still fear hell? I don't fear hell. No, I actually look forward to it. Actually, you know, I have a weird, I have a fun uh, answer for people who say, you know, aren't you, aren't you afraid of going to hell? And especially like this is religious Muslims in my case. And I always tell them, I'm like, if there really is a God and if he is more powerful, more intelligent and more merciful than everybody else, uh, more Im unimaginably more merciful, then I am 100% confident that I am not going to hell. If it's a what if there is a God who created all this stuff no, around but, us, no, but you don't know. No, you keep saying that. You keep saying that every time I correct you. There is no guarantee that the God. Okay, if there is a God, there is no guarantee that He's not an asshole. Okay. I, 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 I don't think everybody. I, why? I'm saying that when they talk about the religious God, when they say that there is Allah's real, I'm like, if Allah's really real and He's benevolent, and if they're talking about a yeah, benevolent, but but His ben His definition of benevolence is different. For it's, it's not a serious answer, Armin. It's <laughs> basically when people come and tell me, "Aren't you scared that the God?" I'm like, I "Well." He's benevolent. He's there's no way he's going to send me to. Uh, I'm no, not. but the reason why I, I fight back against this idea is because it's about a lot of Muslims that are um, that don't like their God, but they don't want to give up their religion. Keep saying you like, I don't think that the God that created the the galaxies and the trees and the oceans, I don't think he's going to such a person would send me to hell just because I didn't worship him. I like what what why would some why would creating galaxies and stuff not make you an asshole you could be an asshole god that creates galaxies and burns people for fun all right okay <laughs> anyway so right there's this uh, uh in japan there are people that are evaporated organization that helps change identity and disappear from their old life is there anything like this in muslim countries so People just who can, uh, if they they can change your identity, and it's sort of like a witness protection program, I guess, where uh, where you can just change your identity, get a new name, and everything, and move into. I, I don't think there's an. I've never, I haven't heard of anything like that in in Muslim majority countries. I think that would, in many Muslim majority countries, you have dictatorships. You don't necessarily have uh, democracies. Um, and even when you do have democracies, I don't think they're very interested in uh, letting some people lose their identity and they want to keep track of everything. So I, I don't think that's the case. Um, okay. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What, what, I didn't understand that question. It's oh, Mike, Mike is saying you skipped my, my question. Mike, what was your question? I, I might have missed it. Sorry, Mike. Mike is a regular. I don't want to miss Mike's question. Hey, uh, cut, uh, yeah, cut and paste your question in again. All right. But in the meantime, let's move on to. Uh, Jim King says, don't you uh, think people still want to be part of a community? Being ex-Muslim might be a community for a short term, but what about promoting an enlightenment or like community? That is what we have this podcast for, uh, Jim. And that's why we have groups like XMNA. That's why we have groups like Muslimish. That's why we are trying to reach out not only to ex-Muslims, but also to their families. Um, my, you know, When I wrote my book, I had that in mind as well. Uh, and uh, I do talk to a lot of parents uh, who are Muslims who have kids, and uh, I, I think that we should be talking to all these audiences. 
you know, I, I do come from the Muslim community. A lot of my relatives and friends are Muslim. So one thing I don't do is I don't shy away from the dialogue. I actually openly talk about it. It's a lot easier now uh, that I have a book now and I have more of a public profile. And I think that that really, really helps. And most of the time when I do, uh, often I will get, you know, the odd uncle or the odd cousin coming up and saying, you know, I, I kind of think like you do too. Mm. You know, and they'll they'll confide in me. I'm, I'm sure Armin's had the same experience. There, there are always people out there who have doubt, um, and uh, th- that's the way to bring them out. I, th- I think that I, I think right now the coming out phase is very important. Um, I know it's not easy for everybody. I know it's a lot easier for me to say uh, because of my family where I live. I, I am very privileged as an ex-Muslim compared to many other ex-Muslims, but there are many people who are doing it, and I, I think that's humanizing. Uh, the the face of you know the the, the idea of what ex Muslims or uh, free thinkers in the Muslim world look like. So okay, I got yeah, Mike's I, I got Mike's question. Mm-hmm. Stand there. What okay, is so what is, Michael uh, McCulloch? What is it all about Muhammad flying to the Jerusalem Mosque that wasn't even built yet that time? Well, um, wasn't there something there? I mean, it's not, yeah, a, yeah. it's not a mosque. It's not a mosque. It was the it was the temple. Yeah, it's the temple. It's the dome of the rock. It was that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that was there. So that's yeah, the, the point the, from the where point, she flew. The, yeah, actually, Muhammad initially before he went to Medina and he was uh, he was disappointed by the Jews. His whole entire religion was supposed to be. Um, Built on the Jewish religion, right? That's why Muslims that Muslims don't eat pig. Uh, that's why Muslims before they worship towards the Kaaba, they worship towards Jerusalem, right? So mm-hmm. it wasn't a mosque there, but this was a Jewish temple there. And he was trying to convince the Jews that he's the Messiah that they're waiting for. And he thought that this this will sell. And he, if you read the Quran. Um, is obsessed with uh, Jewish stories. The, the no, Moses Moses is mentioned so many times when you read the Quran. And every time in Moses, the same story again. And you're like, oh my God, again Moses. And actually, when Muhammad went to heaven and kind of came back, uh, as he says, um, he mentioned that he saw Abraham and he said that he looks exactly like Abraham. He wants to keep convincing people that this is that he's the Messiah that they're waiting for. But then when he went to Medina. A lot of the rules and a lot of the scripture is basically based on Jewish texts as well. Um, and he was very pro-Jewish to begin with. But when he went to Medina, where the Jewish, where a lot of Jews were, they... It became a power like, struggle then. No, and also they told him, like, yeah, we're actually the, prof, the, the guy we're waiting for is a Jew. It's not an Arab. I think Muhammad didn't know, didn't have his. He knew a lot of the stories, but I think he didn't know that part of the story. And he keep telling him, "No, you're, it's not right. You got that. You got that part wrong. Somebody changed your scripture. Your your scripture has been, um, you know, uh, cor- corrupted or something like that. Somebody, you know, you, you know, this is not true. But but he completely misunderstood that because the Jewish. The Jewish ideology is is completely based on Jewish supremacy. It's based on, it's a race based ideology that Jewish people are the chosen people and all that. Did you really think that they think that the prophet that they were the Messiah that they were waiting for is going to be an Arab that like that would not have you know he that shows that he completely did not understand uh, about the chances of a success. But once he uh, once he w- once this happened, he went from 
being very pro-Jewish to being very anti-Jewish, right? But even when he went anti-Jewish, every time a Jew became a Muslim, he was very excited, right? So his his um, anti-Jewish uh, feelings were not at all... Uh, I mean, uh, if you want to give credit a little bit to Muhammad, he wasn't a racist. He was a fucking asshole that killed a lot of Jews. But his problem with them was more theolog- it was theological. It was not based on race. Because, yeah, it had nothing to do with their race. Uh, but yeah. he, he did kill a lot of Jewish people. So we have yeah. about... Um 15 minutes. So I wanted to quickly knock out a couple of really quick questions right, right, going go on ahead, Twitter go as well. Okay. So one is how close are you all following the Iran protests and do you have any special insights? Wait, is that, did you finish the live chat questions? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just bringing this up because it's a very quick answer. And the quick answer okay. to that is about the Iran protests. Our very episode, first episode this year in 2018, the inaugural episode is is a whole special on the Iran protests. Mm-hmm. And Armin has actually given a lot of uh, commentary on it. That's very valuable that I think that it has taken a huge new turn. Uh, if you guys want, we could have an episode on it. Um, are you still there? Um, one. Yeah. And I think the same thing about the MBS in Saudi Arabia. We do have an episode uh, that we're uh, thinking about planning right, yeah, somebody around asked that about topic. MBS. And yeah. we discussed somebody it in the last one too. Also, Gene also wanted to know about the, if we're, if we're going to talk about the uh, people in Saudi that are thrown in jail. I think we should have a Saudi Arabia special Gene, we're going to have, because you mentioned this, let's dedicate an entire episode on MBS, um, Mohammed bin Salman, um, and Saudi Arabia and the situation with the, with the activists there. I agree. Right? And, and I can, uh, there are also some updates when it comes to uh, Raif Badawi and, and everything else. So, you Maybe know, we, we should invite somebody from Saudi Arabia back as well. Maybe Qadar or somebody. Yeah, the, Saudi Arabia, we actually have a, this is a guy I've been trying to have a conversation with for a while. The only problem is Saudi Arabia tends to um, really, really screw up communications if you're having lengthy con- conversations. So if we're on Skype, they'll knock him off after every 10 minutes. If we're on uh, WhatsApp, same kind of thing. So we're tr- just trying to figure out a medium in which we can have that conversation. And this is, an, this is a young LGBT a youth in Saudi Arabia who's been living there, who's, um, and we really want to have him on the show. And he's very willing to come on, but uh, we're just trying to figure out how to do it. And as soon as we do, we're getting very close. And we do. By the way, Crypt is, uh, Crypt is asking a question that is actually very. Uh, he, so, Crypt mm-hmm. you're, is asking in the live chat Do you think if there is a revolution in Iran, will it be a form of ethno nationalism instead of a democratic? Or or some democratic or something worse like a coup by RGC. First of all, Crypt, you you are that's a very good question. I don't even know if I answered if people would understand what you're asking, but that's a very good question. And in fact, I think we should have an episode. I'm interested in having an episode about religious um, ethno nationalism, the rise, the new rise of religious ethno nationalism, and this covers three. Uh, three areas, which is Hindu nationalism in India um, and Zoroastrianism, um, Aryan ethno-nationalism in Iran, which is, seems to be the main competition to Islam, unfortunately, in Iran, which is actually, you're right, Crip, it worries me that if there is a, a government uh, fall in Iran, I don't know if we're going to like what we're going to get, um, but it's a very good question, Crip. Um, and also the third one would be I don't know if it's as big of a deal, but the uh, Viking ideology with, with a lot of white uh, supremacists 
uh, in uh, Europe. Uh, it's very interesting that these things are happening in all these areas. It seems like a lot of ethno-nationalists go, um, instead of abandoning religion, they will go to ancient religions uh, in their area and claim that as part of their identity as, and as a way to, gain, to get their identity back uh, and as a way to fight uh, whatever new forces is coming into their country or whatever new forces has come into the country the couple, uh, in the past couple of years. Uh, in Europe, is actually, uh, it seems to be uh, both. Um, uh, actually, uh, it, there's a little bit um, resurgence of interest in Christianity as the identity of Europe, uh, Western uh, countries, but there's, there's also a deep interest in Viking ideology, which is more ancient, which is more in line with the other, uh, other Iran and India. Uh, Sarah pointed that, by the way, Sarah Haider pointed out that, that uh, this is similar to the Viking, uh, people using Viking ideology in, in Europe. But we should, we should talk about that in an episode, maybe. I think um, it's a good topic. Um, religious ethno-nationalism. Uh, using religion as a way to get back your identity. Um, by the way, uh, Voltron512 just used the super chat function. That's very uh, kind. We just got $5 donation. Thank you so much. That's very sweet. Uh, um, and the comment that is highlighted is the greatest ex-Muslim I know of is Mosab Hassan Yusuf. Uh, wondering what you know of him. He hasn't made any recent appearances. Oh, I know. I know. I know what you're... I know that you know him, Marmon. Have you heard of him? Um, no. Okay, Maybe. so he is—he's uh, actually one of the. He's son. He's the son of. I, mm -hmm. I don't know all the details. He's the son of one of the people in the Hamas leadership uh, in in Palestine, and he basically became a. Uh, he started helping Israeli authorities uh, in their fight against the the terrorists and the insurgents in. Um, oh, I see. I see his pictures. So, I've, I've seen his pictures. Yeah. Okay, right. So he, what he did was he converted to Christianity. He was baptized, I think. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, I think that that's about all I know of him. I, I actually don't know that much. So I can't really comment too much. Um, let's look into it. And if he's, um, and if it's possible, get, can we, is it possible to get yeah, him on let's, the show? Let's see, let's see if we can talk to him. I, I know that he, even though he converted to Christianity, he's, he's fairly secular. He's not a fan of religion. So I think when he first converted, I, Okay, this is me speculating. I think he was religious when he first converted, but I think he's gone to the point where he is now uh, quite. Uh, he he has said a lot of things against religion in general. How it, you People know, in the live chat seem to be worried about him because they say like they haven't heard he's from. Disappeared. Him. Yeah. Well, um, I, I I don't I don't know. If anybody, if anybody that is li listening to this later when we put this podcast out uh, and it goes out, on our, if if you guys know about it, please uh, know what's going on. Please message us. Um, either tweet at Ali or myself. By the way, we need to get somebody to check our inbox because we, we check our Facebook page, we check our Twitter, we check um, the Patreon page, but we're behind on our emails. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, so sorry guys for whoever yeah. emails. Um, okay. So, but yeah, we I have. have yeah. But thank you so again for, for, high, for using the uh, super chat function. That's very, that's very kind. Anyways, go on. What was right. Say? Um, and. Uh, sorry, did you get the one from Jindy about I'm a Saudi atheist and I know many people in Saudi that were thrown in jail for their opinion? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah we, I, we, I said we're going to dedicate okay. an, an entire episode entire to, uh, to that, uh, right. which is a very good point. Thank you so much for Jindy so, for saying it. There was another one, last one by uh, Sagan, Sagan Worshipper. So have you watched any of Jordan Peterson's word salad videos, i.e. his Bible series? Thoughts on him in general? 
Oh my! Uh, I'm gonna pull my hair out every time I listen. I think to it. I think some people might be familiar with my views on it. Um, so uh, here here's the, the I I actually I well, first of all the things I like about Jordan Peterson is that I I do think that he's right about a lot of things. I think he's right about when it comes to compelled speech and all of that. I think some of his fears about uh, the Canadian government coming in and forcing him or putting him in jail for not using the right words was misplaced. Uh, and it didn't turn out to be the case because the bill he was protesting has long become law and nothing like that's really happened as people predicted it wouldn't happen. Uh, but that, that's how he became famous. Uh, he did follow me on Twitter. He was supportive. And yeah, he, 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 re- he retweets me a lot. So I don't, I feel bad for saying that. Yeah. So no, no, but that's one thing that I really like about him. And I have to say this, and I've said this publicly that he's very willing to engage people who disagree with him. Uh, he actually wrote to me when his book came out. He said, I'd like to send you a copy of my book. He sent it to me, um, to my home address here in, in Toronto. So I, I do really appreciate that. And I, I, from what I've heard, I, I think he's a really nice guy. Uh, the problem is that I, when it comes to his ideas, I, I feel like he is, you know, when you first go to university uh, and you're studying, you do a philosophy course and you meet the philosophy professor and they're name dropping all these people like Kant and Foucault and everything. And you're, you're, you're just like, wow, this guy knows everything. And he just mm-hmm. totally, totally impresses you. Uh, then you later on, you get into the idea, uh, ideas more. And then you, you move, you advance, you become more comfortable with it. And then you meet other people and then you realize, okay, there was a, an initial infatuation. <laughs> He he reminds me of that kind of guy. He's he's very very articulate, but um, yeah, he's very very. Yeah, but, but I I but, feel like as a and he's a very good public speaker. And I I, I but I I do I, my I criticism of his. Sometimes. Yeah, a lot of his <laughs> uh, his. I've written, no, I mean, like he's he he's a good he's a good he's really good at saying something that doesn't mean much and making it sound profound. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. And and here's I I just want to give one of my pet peeves with him. Yeah, yeah somebody. Oh, do I still have Yali? Postmodern. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm here. I'm here. Do you have? Yeah, yeah. I, by the way, somebody compared to him. Steak, steaks are tasty. Are saying uh, he's like um, as articulate as Deepak Chopra. Yeah, uh, that's that, exactly. So that's I made that comparison, comparison about a year ago. Oh, he did. I got <laughs> slammed for it. Yeah, and since then I've noticed everybody's making that comparison, and I I think that he's a very articulate version of Deepak Chopra. I think that's exactly how I would say. And here I I just want to give a quick example of it. So so Jordan Peterson is somebody who rails against postmodernism, right? He's really really uh, hates it. He says it's, a, it's pretty it, much it's very it's funny because he hates postmodernism and he all of a sudden says that different things can mean different like oh god could be re- god could, is god fiction or real why not both what a postmodernist thing, thing to say isn't it like, right you know, the um you know so one of the things that he said in in his podcast with sam harris, sam harris is you know he rails against postmodernism but then he said this quote well, I would say that I don't think facts are necessarily true. So I don't, <laughs> that's, that's the summary. Okay. So I don't, yeah, so I don't think that scientific facts, even if they are correct from within the domain that they were generated, I don't think that necessarily makes them true. And, and there are, if you hear the whole conversation, he really talks about how things are only true if uh, they have some uh, evolutionary benefit. Uh, so, you know, there's a, I, I, I think there's a disconnect there. I also recently... Also, okay, guys. Here's the thing. He, here's his idea. If you can't clean up your own room, then you can't expect to go change the whole world and be an activist. I'm pretty sure there were, I could come up, I could think of 
a whole bunch of activists that had a huge influence in history that can't clean up that haven't cleaned up their room. Do you think mm-hmm. do you think Chinese Khan clean up his own room? Do you think I don't I don't understand? Like really he says like we have to clean up our he, he says as assumption something so profound. Oh if you're if you don't clean up your own room and it's messy, how could you fix uh, the whole world. You know, there are a lot of people that know politics. They know how to influence people. They know how to speak, but they can't make, they can't make an omelet. They, they can't. They're messy. They're, they, they don't, they're not, they're terrible at personal finance. There are some economists that know how to fucking manage the country's finances and they have the best theories, but they can't manage their own personal finances. It's completely possible. You know, the, I don't know. It's, but it sounds profound to people. I don't know, like uh, this idea, like oh, the idea of Jesus Christ. This whole story is a sacrifice. So it's a sacrifice to show, like we have to care about our future. You know, he, you know, if it's uh, the, the things that he he makes it seem like this was such a profound story that was written in a way that teaches us something that only he's getting a thing and everyone else is getting it from him because nobody else has read it that way before until he mentioned it to us. So if that was the message, it was written really poorly, but all the historians of the Bible, you know, like if you read Bart Ehrman, they can tell you that, no, this is not, you know, you can see how hu- human and how insignificant and how, childish the ideas behind what is what's in the bible uh why things are the, the you know how, and how political uh are the reason behind why different verses may, uh, made it into the bible right right and, and i i don't know if you guys can uh, see my no you uh, can't show anything because this is going to go into our podcast and people can't see what you're showing oh okay they can't but i mean generally the some of the, the i also uh, tweeted some of the figures from maps of meaning and this is another problem with the postmodernism thing um i can't really describe the diagrams but i'll put a link to it in this in the description so daniel is but, saying armin is sitting on a pile of dirty clothes right now actually i, I i'm very lucky to have my wife and that would be true. She's, and I, I know this you know, sounds very sexist to say, but this, uh, uh, this, uh, we are very stereotypical like that. My wife is, I don't know how she does it, but she keeps manages everything in the house, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm shitty at it, right? I'm really shitty at at, at cleaning up the house. But I, I live in a very organized environment because I was lucky to have a wife like that. But go on. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's basically what I have to say. Um, is there anything else? We've got uh, a couple of minutes. Just no, but, minutes, but I'm but. think. But here's the thing: I, Jordan Peterson, no matter how nice he is, uh, and and I appreciate the fact that he brought, brought attention to some uh, human rights violations in Islamic countries. Uh, even though you know, in, and that's very you know, you could give credit to that. And at the same time, saying is, I think it's very dangerous that the Bible and Christianity it was it, is it was. Is dying, dying slowly. Like it's becoming less and less uh, significant, and less and less. I mean, it's still a big fucking deal, unfortunately. But it's lose. It was losing its influence slowly, and then you have somebody like Jordan Peterson comes and makes it relevant, and people believe that this is some profound messages, and they read between the lines and they think like they they figured out something that this book is saying that is absolutely not saying, right? Um, and and I think he needs to be. Uh, challenge and uh, if you guys uh, go check out Pangburn Philosophy's events. By the way, trans- full transparency. I also work at Pang- Pangburn Philosophy. Um, 
Uh, Sam is being uh, is, uh, in many events. Sam and Jordan Peterson are going to go head to head, and I'm really hoping that Sam is not going to let him get away with a lot of this bullshit. It's very look, looking forward to the events that uh, that uh, they set up. It's very hard. A lot of people wanted to see Sam and Jordan Peterson on the on the, on the panel, and there's a lot of that is coming on uh, coming up with Penguin Philosophy. Okay. All right. So uh, I think that that's, is there anything else you see? I think we have time for one more. We can do one more question. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Peterson's rhetoric is just, if you um, have, so why do you guys think more Latinos in the United States are converting to Islam? What the fuck is that? Is that, I don't know. Is that true? Alex, is that true? That's scary. Fuck. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but if it is, um, uh, yeah. Oh shit! So anyway, uh, I want to. I'll, I'll just end with this one from uh, Obeid. Uh, you know who? Oh, Obeid is here. Yeah, pre- no, no, he 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 sent this on Twitter. I know oh, he's yeah. a supporter and a patron. And he, yeah, so, he's a patron. But yeah. since it wasn't the other one, I missed it. So I want to make sure that it's there. And Obeid, mm-hmm. obviously, we're, we're huge fans of his. And he was a, one of the early guests on our show. Um, <laughs> so he says, if you remember Sam Harris, oh, lots of Sam Harris stuff coming uh, today. If you mm-hmm. remember Sam Harris talking about the narrative narrative with how Herculean the task of having a dialogue has become, do we need to have a conversation conversation to figure out how to have the dialogue? <laughs> oh, this is so meta. Obeyed. Thank you. Um, By the way, Sang is, Sang is asking, telling you that the second T in Toronto is silent. Please correct or leave the city. Yeah, this so. is one of those weird things where people say, is it Toronto or Toronto? And people in the US often say Toronto, and people here say Toronto, even though for everything else that has two T's, it's the other way around. So that is a, that is a phenomenon. I don't know if, that, if, if it has a name. Uh, did you ask? Uh, did you answer Obeid's question, or did I interrupt you? I, uh, I mean, he was talking about whether we need to have a conversation, conversation about to address the narrative, narrative. Um, so I, I actually is this think- is this the same thing? Uh, people are saying, uh, met- what is it? Metaphoric facts, or like, um, what is it? Uh, well, what is it? People say. About some I, facts I, I don't really know exactly what it's about, but uh, I don't know what he's getting at. So that's why I kind of, I was like, okay, I just thought it was a funny question. Uh, I, I think that um, just generally with conversations, one thing that I really liked about the Sam Harris-Ezra Klein conversation, apart from the topic and the IQ stuff and all that other crap, is that um, I, I actually no, like the way they engaged. No, I mean, yeah, I, I, mean I, I know, but I, I think that the way that they... Yeah, um, but okay. The way they engage was very civil and very good, but ju- no, no, not, not only silent. that. I'm not. I'm not just talking about that. I mean, I mean hold on. Right. Let me, let me just finish. Okay, okay. So, what I liked about that is that it it actually it made me think about a lot of other things. Like the, the you, what do we mean by identity politics? Are we going to use this as a blank term, or is this some places where identity politics is justified? This is a conversation we had with Sarah yeah, yeah. as well, right? Mm-hmm. And I I think that uh, that was a good point. I think the idea of how the two people can come from very different places. I don't think either of them was acting in bad faith. I really don't. Um, and I, I think that both of them just had a genuine disagreement. I, that's how I took it. And again, I, and I've seen the discourse around this later on, like the people who love Ezra Klein, like, oh my God, he wiped the floor with Sam. The people who like Sam, like, you know, Sam was obviously the right one here. And uh, I, I actually, you know, I, I, I know Sam a lot better than 
uh, Ezra, I agree with Sam Harris a lot more than I agree with Ezra Klein, but I overall, I do have respect for both of them. And I, I think that it was a really good conversation that I, I learned a lot. Yeah, but I, think, I think we should have more people. Yeah, I'm going to criticize you uh, here because I, I don't think you, do, you, need to, you need to say that because you're kind of suggesting if I say Ezra was wrong, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't mean that it wasn't a good conversation. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have conversations with Ezra. You could, you know what I mean? Like you, it, that adjustment does not need to be made. Somebody like, okay, so person A could go up against person B. And I could say, oh, I get what you're saying. That's, that's not could, what I'm getting it could at. Be true, it could be true that person A wiped the floor with person B. And at the same time, while that's true, it was a good conversation. And it, and, and it was, uh, and person B brought a lot of good points. And person B is a good person. And we need to have more people like person B. These I, I things, could, these things that, could be true right. at the same time. No, no, no. That, that's, that's in general. I'm talking about person B. I'm talking yeah. in this specific conversation, as I said before, and I know we disagree with this. I, I don't think that. Um, I think your, your, I, respect I for I, some, your respect for person B shouldn't. Uh, make you no, want to give them more credit. The, the, well, not only the credit, but I, I, as I said before, and I know we disagree on this, I do think that uh, Ezra Klein was right about a lot of things. Which, I think Sam was which, right about a lot of things. And we already went through that, so I don't right, want right. to get into it again. Uh, but I, uh, what I'm saying just generally about having these conversations about how to have the conversation is, uh, I think, really important. And I, I, by the way, I am not a fan of I know that a lot of people talk about building bridges and finding common ground. I think that's great if you're a politician and you need to draft legislation. But in general discourse, I'm not a fan of that. I don't think that that should be the goal, building bridges and finding common ground. I think yeah. finding out where the other person is coming from and uh, we, we also need to we also need to talk about how we talk about other people going after each other. And I think that trying to say like I don't agree with people, I don't think we f- need to find a middle ground if somebody is obviously right and the other person is obviously yeah, right. And, and, we, I don't I don't do that. It's just in this case, I actually do think. That, uh, I really was, don't understand how because he was. There are many, many other conversations where I think that, like you know, when even if he, he was, that, say, even if he was saying things that were true, he weren't. He wasn't addressing what the conversation was about, right? You could you could ask me a question, and I could be like, "Yeah, the sun rises every morning." I'm still technically right, but it has nothing to do with the conversation. No, I, I mean, so yeah. we're seeing this completely differently. I, I, this is this is another sort yeah. of extra Sam type situation. <laughs> but I know we're seeing this completely different. I gen- look if, you, if there are many. I am not the kind of person who's going to look at the, uh, the, the the say Sam's conversation with uh, Ben Shapiro and say that. Oh, I think that uh, it was a good conversation, but both of them were uh, they made good points. I thought Ben Shapiro was full of shit in that conversation. I still think it was a good conversation. So right. I do think that uh, everyone wiped the floor with Ben Shapiro in that conversation. But but the uh, in this case, in this specific one, I found this genuinely tough. I found it difficult um, mm-hmm. to, and I know that there was a lot of uh, you know taking mm-hmm. sides on this. This is not something I actually. I'm learned. not taking sides because of because we're on someone's side. I'm taking sides because he was absolutely wrong and Sam was absolutely <laughs> right. I think. I think he wasn't. Well, I mean, even if he was right, the things that he said has nothing to do with what Sam was saying. Sam, I think was, saying, I think Sam was saying this is the data. I was like, but what about this? But what about that? Like, okay, yes. What about those? I, I think. I think Sam was right about much, much more. I think that Ezra Klein was right about a lot of stuff, and he was very wrong when it came to being evasive about the whole um, the first Nisbet article. But I also think here's, for example, I think that uh, where Ezra had a better point than Sam, in my opinion, 
is when they talk about identity politics. I don't think that that term should be um, brought about. I, I do think that there's legitimate aspects to it. So that's just one example. Right. Actually, no, no, no. I gave to that. I think like that. Um, uh, yeah, we agreed with with that. Um, and so Sam hates the uh, concept of identity politics, and identity politics have been used uh, very, very in a toxic way. But we, I agree that if you're an ex-Muslim in a Muslim country, if you're a Jew in a Nazi country, if you're a Yazidi under ISIS, um, then your identity, or if you're a Christian in Egypt, then your identity does matter. Uh, and I don't know if, if using that identity to, to ask for help, I don't know if that's considered identity politics or not. But in those, if it is, then in those scenarios that identity politics is fair to play. Uh, so I'm not willing to completely dismiss it, but uh, in that, in that mm -hmm. sense, I agree. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I don't, for me, it wasn't about, I, I actually don't really have, uh, you know, the topic of the conversation. I don't care about as much as I, I think that I do me, care about the topic of the conversation a lot because no, I, I, I don't I'm, talk about this. No, you do. Yeah. I'm just telling you that in my case, I'm, I'm talking about my opinion here. Okay. Is that okay. I don't care particularly about the topic of that conversation okay. just because I've been reading about it for 10 years. And oh, I right. remember when the bell curve came out. I was in med school at the time. It was all very, you know, I, I remember Now it's more important because now it's going to become undeniable. And the other thing is, the other thing is that I think that uh, one thing Sam Harris is saying is reputation destroying. I think that Sam's reputation is very good. I think it's very established. Andrew Sullivan, who is yeah, another I, guy. I, I've been, I, I agree with you. I, again, I agree with Andrew, you. Andrew Sullivan yeah. is another guy I've been reading since uh, the early 2000s. Right, is somebody who has brought up this topic a lot, like uh, the IQ and genetics thing. And he's taken Charles Murray's side um, every time, and he's repeatedly talked about it. He's gotten flack for it, but his reputation is untarnished just because he's been talking about it. I don't think um, that this is going to affect that. So the, the topic, because I'm familiar with it, I don't really... Uh, Lady Liberty with a dick is saying well, well that's a very uh, cool um, username. It's saying I think Sam should uh, should take Ezra's advice and have on more people of color who agree with Ezra. Actually I, do, I disagree yeah. with that lady. No I completely disagree. You agree with that? I, I think completely agree with that. I, I completely disagree. You know, Armin, we, we dis like, I know we've right, had this like, conversation. Hey, we're talking before. on the phone. I'm going to have you on my show but before I decide whether you're, you're going to be on my show or not, can you tell me uh, from a scale of, of 1 to 10 how dark you are before I have you on my show. Uh, like you're that that's you're redu you're simplifying it. You're simplifying. <laughs> that's not what it is. That's what it is. No, no that's you, what it is. It has no relevance. It has I, no relevance. Your I color has no relevance. Uh, no, I, I, so that's where I disagree with you and I disagree with Sam as well. Okay, I let's think, talk about that later. Let's yeah, yeah, that. we'll talk about that later. And I know we've talked about this off the air too before. So right. I I, I, th I think that uh, the experiential and the story part of it, uh, that part of it is awesome. By the way, people in the live chat, uh, Sagan Worshipper, Lady Liberty with the Dick, uh, Francis, uh, Crypt, uh, Mike, you guys were awesome. I really liked the, uh, how active our live chat was today. Jim, Beige as always, um, um, Sang, Bert, and everybody else. And thank you again to our patrons, the... Uh, really appreciate you guys making all this possible. Make sure if you're a patron to f look for our um, face private Facebook paid only patron only group is 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 linked. We have a link to it on our Facebook page, our Secular Jihadist Facebook page. Uh, but just make sure you don't please don't uh, ask to join uh, if you're not a patron because it's, it makes it really difficult for me to go over. Um, Oh, because if you're not, then I have to message you. It makes everything a little bit longer. But thank you so much for uh, to our patrons. 
and yeah and also guys um subscribe to the youtube channel because that really does help um get the uh, videos to more people you can uh, and if you could comment on them um, ha here's how you could help actually if you don't if you're not a patron um you could leave us a review on iTunes or you could go on our YouTube channel and make your suggestions for our future shows, for our future guests, um, future topics as a comment in our YouTube videos because the comments really helps us uh, get more exposure on YouTube as well. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. And yeah, Ali, anything else? To yeah. Say? I just want to say that uh, for those of you who are listening live, um, we're going to have... Uh, our uh, Mariam Namazi will be talking to her on April 23rd uh, when I get back uh, from the Netherlands and um, I'm really looking forward to that. It should be a fun conversation. Yeah, so. and uh, yeah, and I'm going to um, look forward to XMNA's release of my talk with Qada and Sarah. Um, I'll share it on my Twitter and Aces Republic when I come. That was very interesting. Um, thank you for bringing that up, Ali, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. All so right, and... Um, Goodbye, I think that's it. Okay, bye-bye, everybody. Till next bye. time. The Secular Jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadists.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.